Welcome to another episode of the Flow Road Podcast. I am your host, Edgar Otraves. On today's episode, we have Emily, who will be going down her list of top must-watch horror movies for Halloween. Um, we had a blast going through her list. Uh, really, I, again, we only wanted to do her list this time because I didn't want it to go for such a long time. Fair warning, everybody. This is a long one. Also, if you want to support the podcast, head on over to shop.theflowroadpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Yeah, well, it's like I saw it a long time ago and I didn't, I didn't really like like I was too little, so I couldn't remember it. And I was like, you know, I should watch this movie. I should watch that movie. I was going to watch them all, actually. And I was like, ah, you know, like, I, you know, like. But you've I, seen all of them, right? I've seen all of them. I've seen yeah, them all. Yeah, they're all classic movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen them all. I just, I just couldn't, like, all of all of all of them. Jaws was the one I remembered the very least. But I remember, like, well, here, let's get started. Um, yeah. This is Edgar Traves. Welcome to another episode of the Showroom Podcast. Today, my co-host is Emily, and we're going to be talking about her five favorites or must-watch uh, Halloween movies. So, Emily, I, I, I saw some of your movies. I've seen all the movies. I just couldn't remember them all. But uh, how do you want to do this? You want to do um, five, like going backwards, five, four, three, two, one, or? Yeah, remind me of uh, the order of the list I gave you. <laughs> you have... Uh, you want me to start with number five? Yeah, let's start with five and go up to one. Okay, so number five, you have The Silence of the Lambs, 1991, by director Jonathan Dorame. Oh, Demi, I think it is. Oh, is it Demi? Okay. Demi, I, I, yeah. Yeah, Demi, yeah, I think you're right. My, my, I I have... don't, I'm trying to remember what else he did, but um, so he... Silence of the Lambs is just... I don't know. Again, these movies are like, there's a mix of like thriller and horror, I would say, uh, for sure. My my thing with films, like, I'm very open to anything spooky and scary, but um, I don't really love gore. Yeah. Um, so I really, when I was a kid, gravitated towards like classic horror films, like um, like the original Frankenstein and um, the 60s version of The Haunting, um, but Silence of the Lambs, it kind of falls into a weird category, right? Because it's like a thriller. It's got the crime aspect. Um, you've got serial killers, two of them that mm -hmm. are featured, right? So yeah. Anthony Hopkins, who's actually kind of helping Jodie Foster's character find, locate an active serial killer while Hopkins' character is in jail. So you've got all these different dynamics going on, but you get a little bit of gore. You get some strangeness, of course, with mm. Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody remembers the song playing in the one particular scene. Oh, um, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it gets to be a bit much. And I saw that movie too at um, most of the, so let's, let me back up a little bit. My mom was into horror movies and scary movies like her whole life. So my brother and I were shown these movies at too young an age. But that again, <laughs> it, 
But this is, again, you think about the fact that I've been to theaters in the past five, 10 years, and I, and I don't know if you're guilty of this, Edgar, but I've seen parents with kids at like really gory movies. And I'm like, these kids should not be here. First of all, it's after 10 o'clock. Why is this kid in the theater? Um, but my mom showed me classic horror movies and scary movies. She never was showing me people losing limbs. So in that way, I'm like, was she that bad of a parent? Because these days kids are getting to see movies where there's tons of sex and violence. And I was really just seeing, I don't know, movies that are today considered classics, you know? Yeah, I, I am definitely um, guilty of uh, being the irresponsible parent with a kid in a movie that they probably shouldn't be watching. Because uh, you want to go see the movie, right? I got, I got to go see the movie. I have to go see the movie. I had to go see Deadpool and uh, my wife was working and uh, there was no choice. I, I had to take my kids with me and watch this inappropriate movie for their age. And, I remember uh, you telling me about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, I remember there was this one part in the movie and I'm like, oh, I just scarred my kids. They're, they're going to need therapy. It's going to be all my fault. You know? <laughs> there's a couple, there's definitely a couple sexual parts in that where it's like, I'll be honest, as a kid, sometimes when I saw those kind of scenes in movies, I didn't understand them. Yeah. I knew what yeah. I wasn't supposed to be watching it. And that was part of the cool part about seeing it. Like, I'm like, so for example, I saw Pretty Woman. Um, we snuck a VHS tape, me and my neighbor friends and my brother. Uh-huh. And while the parents were outside or not paying attention, thinking we were just doing our usual playing around, uh, we were all watching Pretty Woman. And there is a sexual scene, well, couple, but one particular scene in that movie with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. And it's very sexual, but I didn't understand what was going on because oh. I was young to comprehend that situation plus it's shot from a distance so it's not like it's not porn right so it's not up in your face but um I just didn't even understand it so in some instances I think kids just don't get stuff but when it comes to violence and gore yeah they could be having nightmares for like six months after yeah we went we went and saw like number two so there isn't a lot of sex in number two uh but there is a there is a scene where they rip you know cartoon rip Deadpool in half and oh yeah, I, I was like, oh shit, I didn't see that coming, you know. And so like I turned around to like cover my kid's eyes, but it was already too late. My son was like under the chair, and I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't I'm so and I I, I look around, it's like did any other parents see me do this, like have this kid in this movie, you know? Because uh but, oh man, but like at the same time, you know, they're fine. You know, the, the kids are resilient. Like there's, this is not gonna ruin their life. But, um, and not to veer off too much, too much off the topic, but in the, in the other podcast where I had, uh, where I talked to Dan, uh, we talked about Nightmare on Elm Street and it was a, a, kid, mm. a movie for kids. And that disturbed me, you know, because it's like, yeah, it's a rated R movie. It's a horror movie, but the, the, the victims are the kids only the kids are going to be the ones identifying with with the characters on the movie like it's it's a movie for kids and and for a while there i thought before before i had the conversation i thought should i introduce nightmare on elm street to my kids at one point so that they can experience what it's like to to be afraid of you know freddie you know because and i was conflicted you know 
because I had that upgrade. I had that in my childhood. It's, it's something I kind of remember and now look back on and I think it's kind of funny. But now I wonder, what am I, if I do this, what, what am I doing to my kids? You know, like, because an adult well, is, is not going to be afraid of this silly movie. No. And see, I did not see Freddy at a young age. I saw it when I was already grown. And so I laugh at most of it, to be quite frank. I can see how late at night and he's coming down um, the alley um, about to get the girl in the first couple of scenes, um, how that would be scary. Um, But beyond that, as you know, those later sequels totally got goofy with. Oh, yeah with the ridiculous lines and just their one-liners and it was more so like people would pack the theaters and be laughing out loud. So they kind of lose me at that point because sometimes horror is very much, again, like we've talked in a, we talked in another podcast about dreams and like everyone's dreams are different. The way you interpret certain characters is different depending on like what you're afraid of. And for me personally, Freddie just doesn't do it for me. And that being said, you yourself, or maybe someone even younger than you, having seen that when that first came out, that might still be haunting their nightmares today. I saw it at a very, very, very young age. I mean, when I saw it, I saw it on VH, VHS or whatever at my, at my cousin's house. Oh my gosh. Is this a thing? Because I also saw um, the Friday the 13th movies mm-hmm. at a cousin's house. We had a sleepover. Yeah. All of them fell asleep and they're all older boys and my brother, there's one girl and they all fall asleep and they left cable on and we didn't have cable at my house at the time. I was very young and it was just one after the other playing on this cable channel. And I was wide eyed the whole night, freaking out. And I, it scarred me, it scarred me. And then all night, I didn't sleep that whole night. And then I was just like, yeah. You see, you see, I think, I think the experience I had with Nightmare on Elm Street, you had with Friday the 13th. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where again, Friday the 13th, not that great of movies to be frank. And honestly, Freddy, I think that Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one in the eighties, that was totally, despite the fact that you can look back now and laugh at some of it, if you grew up with it or not, it totally changed the landscape of horror. So it definitely was one of those films that was a new style and the music and the 80s music and kind of like tricks they brought into it. I think that it it reinvented horror for a lot of people. So in that aspect, it it deserves kudos. But at the same time, if I had seen it when I was younger, I probably would have been more scared of it than like, for example, also like, just think about like movies you grew up with that were fantastical. Like I grew up with like Labyrinth oh, and yes. the Story. I show some of these movies to friends now who'd never seen them. And they're like, this is weird and dumb. I don't get it. And I'm like, well, you didn't grow up with it. And I did. So that might be part of it. Well, you know, like my daughter, um, she saw Wizard of Oz at a very young age. And she, to this day, is a huge Wizard of Oz fan. She loves Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, you know, it's it's kind of part of those movies where it's like an Alice in Wonderland type girl goes into this world. It's a different world. And she comes back eventually, et cetera. But um, yeah. But she those has- movies and like, just like music, it, it forms like, it helps form your brain and your interest as you get older. And 
kids who didn't see a lot of movies at a young age, like a lot of friends I grew up with just saw the cartoon movies and then movies geared towards preteens. My mom was showing me Psycho when I was like seven. So I've seen like a lot of movies, maybe a little younger than I should have, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it made me a movie lover and like still am to this day. It's kind of hard to argue uh, not showing someone a uh, psycho. I have, I'm conflicted because again, you might've been too young, of course, but it's Alfred Hitchcock. It's classic. Right. But um, anyway, I'm sorry. And, and I became, like really into that as a kid, like we actually um, growing up, we didn't go to Disney world. We went to universal studios because we were into movies and movie making. And they used to have a whole exhibit about Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock there. So it was like the rear window sets and stuff from the birds and psycho. And here's my brother and me, we're like, nine and 10 and we're like totally soaking it in and like acting like it's Disney world, which most average kids that age want to go to Disney world. And we had no interest in Disney world. Although we love Disney movies, but we were so into filmmaking and that idea of film and the certain shots and the shadows. And I think that for me, my mom helped us get an education early about movies and I don't hold anything against her because of that. Yeah. That's awesome. It was, was your mom in the film or something or? She w- wasn't involved in film. She went to school to be a teacher and then became a cop, but um, mm. she loved film. She just loved film and she passed it on to us because it's something she was interested in. And she admitted even as like, you know, Little Mermaid came out in 1989 and I was a young kid then. But before that, there weren't really any great Disney movies that like people were obsessed with. That kind of changed the whole landscape of Disney. Mm-hmm. And my mom was just tired of watching kids stuff. So she started showing us stuff that she liked and we were super into it. And and again, now I'm a movie lover. I read about film. I, I've i been an actor. I, I, I like all aspects of it. And I credit her with that because had she just shown us, you know, Sesame Street and which we watched, um, and stuff for kids our age, we wouldn't have learned about that stuff early on. So now I feel like I'm a good movie critic because I understand how these things should go. Mm-hmm. And when I see garbage, I can spot it from a mile away. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, in, in film school, because I, I, went, I went to film school, but I have like one of those kind of like very mixed degrees. I have uh, animation and film. So like, you know, I'm an illustrator and a, you know, filmmaker. But anyway, like, or I shouldn't say I am because don't make movies. But anyway, but like you have uh, those, but you have those, but you have so, you at one point had the skill set, which is uh, something I wish I would have done. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I had the education, if you will. But um, in, in terms of like, um, but it, it's like you said, like it's made me kind of aware of a lot of things. Like, you know, uh, like like you said, makes makes you a good film critic. You're aware of things like mise en scene and character development and etc. But anyway, Which, going- again, I'm sure lots of people have seen movies and they've picked up on these things without an education. But I also went a step further, which was I then watched documentaries about these films mm. and I read books about these films. I had like a film noir book when I was like eight. Like I liked that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, she showed us all those old films too, like the neo noir stuff and mm. movies from the 40s and the 30s. And I, at one point when I was about 14, I think I went back and watched all those early movies that were first released, you know, in the 1910s and 20s. And, you know, it it kind of created like a path for me to be a lifelong, um, definitely a lifelong critic again, because I, I don't have a tolerance for garbage. Like, mm-hmm. 
even to watch it as a joke pains me. Like I can't watch stuff that I know is bad. <laughs> yeah, I have a hard time with people who who like to watch stuff that's unintentionally funny. You know what I'm saying? Like I just yeah. I can't I can't do that. Like it just uh, seems like a waste of time. Yeah, uh, unless it's of, of course one of those movies that's intentionally bad to be funny, kind of like the. Uh, the Row House films by by um, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, like those are intentionally done in in that kind of almost using it as an aesthetic as versus as something that was unintentionally funny. But well, what are the ones uh, with Bruce Campbell, The Evil uh, Dead? The Evil Dead, yeah, The Evil Dead. And those are ones that I didn't see at a young age. So once I saw them, I kind of didn't get all of it, but I understood that like, okay, this is supposed to be goofy and ridiculous and it's not being serious, obviously. I I saw them at a young age. I did not get that at first uh, until Army yeah, of Darkness. They're Dark over the top. Yeah, they are. And, and it wasn't until Army of Darkness that I realized, oh, these are comedies. Okay. You know, like I, I, just, I was just too young. I didn't get the subtlety, the subtlety of it. But um, uh, I, I want to come back to uh, the Silence of the Lambs. So you you really liked this movie. What was what was one of the like memories about this movie that made you think, okay, people need to watch this movie? Yeah, I think that for me, it's definitely got an ominous tone to it. The music, the way it's filmed, obviously, it's got ominous content. I have always been into serial killers. Maybe that's the film that got me into reading and like researching serial killers. Um, but it also has such amazing storytelling and character development. And you, the title of the film is obviously a reference to something in Jodie Foster's past that Anthony Hopkins character, Hannibal Lecter pulls out of her and he psychologically messes with her as she's coming to him, trying to get help catching Buffalo Bill, this active serial killer. And You've got these like smarmy kind of characters, like the one character who's the head of the jail and he's like hitting on Jody mm. and it's just gross. And you almost want him to get eaten, which at the end of the film, you see Anthony Hopkins, um, he escapes. Sorry, spoiler alert. Everyone <laughs> should have seen a Silence of the Lambs by now. Yeah. But you see him follow him. Um, you know, I think he's in South America at that point and he puts his hat on. And he's following this guy who had him locked up. And you are almost like, you know, feeling like you want Anthony to get him. You want Lecter to get him, which is like crazy. Cause that's like, you're basically applauding a serial killer, but you see how this character acts like a total dick the mm -hmm. whole time. And he's perving out on Jody's character. And I just think that the whole section um, where Hopkins is, talking to um Jody's character about um the lambs and how they you know this memory from her childhood I love movies first of all that have a title like that where it's like it's not automatically clear what it means yeah but it's something within deeper within the film and at some point like I hate movies where the title is said in the movie like if in Jaws, they said, oh, yeah, it's it's Jaws. Look at the Jaws. I mm -hmm. hate that kind of stuff. Yeah. But in this instance, Silence of the Lambs is never mentioned. It's just the lambs crying and the idea that she's got this terrible memory from her childhood that he pulls out of her. So I think for me, the storytelling is the biggest thing. It's, it's not a run-of-the-mill thriller. It's not a run-of-the-mill horror movie. It's more complex. Um, 
Yeah, like, um, I don't remember if there was ever a psychological thriller before this movie, but this is absolutely, it embodies that, that phrase. It is a psychological thriller. There's a lot of, because I mean, you have a literal psychologist messing with people's brains, right? And, and he's, he's, both, he's both the, it's, it's, very, it's a very cool dynamic that they gave Hannibal Lecter because he's, he's not only a, a mentor, but he's also he's also the person preying on her. So he's he's he, he's an antagonist, right? Because he's also he's also messing with her psychologically. It's it's uh it, it's it's really he can't help himself. <laughs> he can't help himself. It's a very interesting role to give someone that's supposed to be helpful, that's supposed to be a mentor. He's he's also he's also a villain. It's uh and, and because of that, I think. I want to say that he it inspired other movies to have this kind of dynamic in a character, right? Because I mean, he's 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 hyper intelligent. He's he's very very intelligent, and that part of it is the part that makes him kind of even more scary. Because you don't know what he's yes. capable of of pulling out of you because he's so 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 much smarter than you, right? And and he does that. He does that to Jodie Foster. He he pulls out this story, like you're saying, the silence of the lambs, the the, the 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 lambs crying in her memory. He pulls this out of her, for I, I can't remember what were the reasoning for it. I, I I know it was supposed to be kind of therapeutic, but I was it also sadistic. I mean, I I, I don't know. You know, um, it, it pleasured him. It pleasured him to have that insight into her psyche, like he is not again if you see a guy who steals um i don't know steals a, a bag of chips from a grocery store and walks out and you know has his name on the back of his shirt and the camera's there you're not afraid of people like that they're bad criminals but when you have these again like hyper intelligent people which many serial killers have to be in order to do what they did for so long because many of them got away with things for years and years before they were caught again pre-dna um or the, uh, you know, the fact that we knew how, what DNA could do for um, crime and for uh, solving crimes. But I, I think that he really, he got so much pleasure out of knowing more about people. And he, as a psychologist, that's what they do. They, they, the brain is like intriguing to them. Knowing how to control people is intriguing to them. And he, he she had something she needed something from him. She needed something from Lecter. She needed his intelligence to help her solve this crime. And he was not going to give it any information up without getting something from her first. Yeah. So he's one of those people where it's like, I ain't giving it away for free. So you yeah. need to give me some little, little like tidbits about yourself so I can figure out your whole thing. And it is, um, it is an interesting dynamic because while he does mentor her in a way and he does, um, help her with her career and her progression of where she wants to be in the FBI. At the same time, he can't help but getting in some jabs and getting in like, it's like reading her diary. It's like very creepy. He, he is. Yeah, he is. He is creepy all the way around. He wants to be in her brain and he also wants to be like eating people's brains. He's very, you know, it's, it's very, yeah, because you know, in the end he does that to, um, What's he's all about brains. He's all yeah. about brains all the time. He doesn't oh. care how he gets it, but he wants it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And oh my, oh my goodness, he's he's. I, I just remember thinking, 
um, watching this guy, there was so much tension, right? Jodie Foster's on one side of the glass and you have, you know, Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins on the other side of the, of the glass. And even though he, he can't physically touch her, it's, it, you still can't but feel like you're exposed, right? She, he can see everything. That's interesting. I wonder if that was on purpose too, because like he can see her right through the glass. There's no bars or anything. He sees her clearly. So, but, but there's, but, but there's still fear there too. Yeah. Even though she knows he can't touch her as well. He can't touch her. She can't touch him. And she's safe in that space at that time. Mm -hmm. um, it's still like, that's an interesting aspect of that scene too, is the fact that you watch it and you're terrified and this guy's freaking you out, mm -hmm. but you're like, okay, wait, why am I scared of him? He's locked up. He's this short little weird guy. There's, yeah. you know, he's not going to hurt anybody, but you know what he's done and what he's capable of. Yeah. And that's the scary part of being in a room with someone. I've always wanted to like write a book about a serial killer, but like at these days, most of these people aren't around anymore. They've all been, you know, killed off on death row. And I think understanding how their brains work differently than the average person's brain is intriguing because um, they're just smarter than a lot of other people. They're they're self-aware um, more than other people, I think, because they're they are because I mean they have to notice that they are different than everyone, right? So then and they do and they do at a young age and they don't tell other people that yeah. they know this about them. Yeah, exactly. And so therefore they, and, and in doing so that, that gives them the ability to hide. Right. And to it, hunt. And to hunt. And to hunt. Speaking of not, to, again, not to veer off, but Dexter's coming back. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Supposedly they're, they're going to make like a, what is it? A seventh or eighth season or whatever. They're going to continue way after they left off, but. Oh, wow. That's yeah, very cool. Since we were talking on the subject of, of silence of the lambs, man, I, but these, a lot of these things they they totally stay with people um i don't i think you might have seen i have like a, a face mask that has the um moth on the mouth with the woman's nose which is the cover of if we still had covers the movie poster or the uh vhs or dvd cover um of silence of the lambs and i have worn that so many places and you'd be surprised at how many people go silence of the lambs right or they say something like Oh, hello, Clarice. And I'm like, wow, the fact that this many people, that movie came out in 1991, like the fact that people still like think about the movie. And I think that I was wearing that long before Halloween. So it's not like it, you know, was coming just around the corner. Um, people just identify with movies like that and love them. And uh, I would say the average person who commented was probably a male between 22 and 52 mm -hmm. um, more than females but um yeah it's a movie that sticks with you it's a movie that holds up like year after year I watch it again and again and it holds up it, it just does and a lot of movies you know they might get big box office numbers they might um be really popular in the popular you know the notion of like everyone's popular psyche during a short span of time this one sticks around and it sticks with you for a long time yeah oh no i love this movie I, i'm so glad that you brought it up because it was it was one of the ones that i wanted to put on my list but i, I didn't um for because i kind of went down a, a a little different path 
but I'm so glad that you brought this movie up because I I like this movie a lot. Um, and it's it's one of those movies I've watched over and over again. I haven't watched in a while, but I've I've um, I, it's definitely one of my favorite movies. Um, and again, different. it falls into the psychological um, thriller, like you mentioned, category more than horror, but it has that aspect of the horror within it because it's got two serial killers who've committed atrocious crimes. So again, it's got different, it's not maybe in the horror genre by any means, mm-hmm. but what goes on within it is just as scary as watching a horror movie. Yeah, and, and oh, and just just to kind of talk about the psychology of the of the killer right he wants to become a female but doesn't but has kind of like a weird kind of juvenile understanding of how that works and and makes a dress out of female skin i was just like when when that came out i was just like what does he what like like how does that no that does i don't think that's how that works you don't just make a dress and that makes you a girl you know like it's like it's interesting too when i i really don't find him even though it's disgusting and horrific and terrifying i find anthony hopkins character to be more scary than um buffalo bills i almost feel bad for buffalo bills something really messed up happened to this person that this is what they're doing um in their daily lives and i don't know what it is about him maybe because he's not as advanced in terms of his intelligence you can tell as uh, obviously um Hannibal Lecter is so I almost I don't feel bad for him but I don't find the same fear from him because intelligent wise uh, intelligence wise he's not at the same level but I've been telling people for years like do not help anybody put a couch in a van ever because they will skin you and they will wear you on their (laughs) some guy is like hey especially since they like girls like in the film I saw that movie as a kid but now as an adult, like he used to prey on women who were bigger, like size 14 or 16. Uh-huh. I tell all my friends, I'm just like, don't mess around. Like they want your back. They want all that skin. Don't <laughs> screw around at all. If you don't know somebody, you don't. And also, I mean, it just shows like how even back then, I don't think that many people would do this today. I think some would because they're naive. But because people have seen this movie, if someone wants me to get into the back of the van and they're pushing from the outside, like hell no that's not happening you yeah. can get in the damn van and i'll stay on the outside and push it in <laughs> I'm, not, no, I'm not messing with that shit and it's just all these things you learn from horror movies like oh hmm, didn't think about that before but now yeah. i'm not gonna do it <laughs> yeah i think the most the most important lesson that you can get from a horror movie is oh the noise is over there i am going this way you know i am going in the opposite direction I am not going where the noise goes. It's like, why Why are you going to investigate? No, do not go where the noise is. Call the cops. Go away. That's not where you go. You never go. But you know what? The, in all seriousness, my like, if there's a noise downstairs, my wife is like, go check. Oh, yeah. I have to go <laughs> check. I'm the and one. then you're like, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. This is the part in the movie where I get murdered. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is just called you a seen that commercial out right now it's like showing all these people that are in like a it's it's basically i don't know if it's geico or who it is but it's basically making fun of that concept and instead of jumping in the getaway car these people in the commercial are in a horror movie and they're like let's hide behind the chainsaws yes yes <laughs> yes that's so awesome it's i was just like yeah 
have you seen that like story? I don't know what you would call it, but it, it's the idea, like even in Scream, of course, Scream is making fun of other movies while being its own movie. But when mm -hmm. you see these people run upstairs, I'm like the front door, go to the front <laughs> yes, door, go to yes. the neighbor's house, what's wrong with you? Yeah, why are you going upstairs? There's no place to go. What are you gonna jump out the window? You're not Spider-Man. Exactly. every time. I'm like, now you're gonna have to jump out the window, dumbass. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, yeah, this, the last <sighs> thing you wanna do is go up the stairs. Do not go upstairs no. and do not go into the basement. It's the last no. place you need to go out in the field be free, run, run. Cause the one thing a villain does not have is cardio. Yeah. They have no speed. They All of them no. walk so damn slow. Yeah. I'm like, seriously. And then, and the funniest thing about the nightmare before um, Elm Street series is that he can like reappear in places yet he doesn't catch them half the time. And I'm yeah. like, if you could just change where you are at any time because it's a dream, then why are you not catching them more often? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You think you would be better at this, you know? But uh, I think the only zombie, the only monster you need to worry about is the 28 days later monster. That in the, and the, uh, like the World War Z monster too. Where the, that, that's the one with Brad Pitt, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the zombies are super yeah. fast and like avalanching towards you. But uh, here, let There's me There's a lot of shows today uh, that talk about that. Like the idea that some zombies like from the past are always slow, but then you've got these couple types of zombies that are a lot more, uh, I don't know if you've like been track at practice for a while or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're not going to be able to outrun those. Like you, you need the cardio. But uh, there's there's also that other zombie movie, the the one with uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, oh, um, Zombieland. Zombieland, yes. Double tap, double tap. Double tap, double tap, yes. <laughs> okay. I love that concept too, because how many movies have they knocked down Michael Myers and his ass gets back up 70 times? It's like, Make sure this mother effer is dead. Shoot him in the goddamn head. What are yes. you doing? Yes, yes. Chop his head off. Shoot the shoot shoot it in the head. Make sure it's dead. You know, stick a stick. All a the stick. things they've done to Michael Myers, it's like he should be very, very, very dead right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow he just keeps coming back. Here, let me turn on the light. Give me one sec. Oh yeah, you don't want to be sitting in the darkness because you're gonna scare yourself. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I'm sitting here in the dark and I'm, I'm realizing I'm beginning to look a little creepy. <laughs> and the, well, no, that's what we did last time. And I have only two small lights on. I might have to put another one on. But last time it was getting really creepy in this room for me. I was like getting spooking myself out. Yeah, it looked good from here. Cause I was like, oh, you look like you're in a scary movie. But I was like, yeah. Yeah. you know, I'll be like, run. It's right behind yeah. you. Uh, if anything's so, behind me, it's going to be one of my cats, and the worst thing that'll happen is I get scratched, so it's not too bad. <laughs> Although, wait, I need to tell you. So I live in my mom's condo, and um, it's the it's the condo I grew up in for the first two years of my life, and we've always rented it out to family. So now I'm paying rent to my mom, and I live here by myself. And all of a sudden, never heard this story before. A couple weeks ago, she tells me about, oh, there's a ghost living in the kitchen. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. She's like, there are noises and things that have happened in the walls. There's definitely no squirrels living in the walls. There's no kind of like electrical thing going on. But when my dad was alive and her and him were living here, both before we were born, my brother and I, and after she's like, there have been things that have gone down in the kitchen. And I'm like, I didn't need to know that. Yeah. You didn't need to tell me that. Now yeah. I'm like, 
cat was staring at the kitchen pantry door yesterday and I'm like, what's the cat staring at? What's the cat staring at? <laughs> there's no bug, there's nothing moving, there's no shadows. I'm yeah. like, I don't know what the cat's staring at, but it's freaking me out. Cause one of them did it first and was just facing the wall, like staring at it. And then later the other one did it. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, you don't usually see cats like that. You see dogs that look like, I remember in the movie um, Poltergeist, the dog sits and then puts its paws up like this, like a person is there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, holy shit, that's what's happening. <laughs> oh shit. Like, I don't need those thoughts in my life right now, two weeks before Halloween. Thank you very much. I was just about to say that she picked a great time to tell you that, there's, that the place is haunted. Like now the nights are going to be longer. You're going to see more. There's more darkness just in general because of the season. And, you know, she could have told you like right in the middle of summer when there's more daylight all the time, you know, it's just. It's really funny that when you think about it, Edgar, like things that are spooky can happen at any time, but yet for some reason around this time of year and never in June, are we all kind of at like this heightened like idea as if these things couldn't be going on every other day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ever tell you I made the mistake again, expert parenting. Uh, I made the mistake of, of, of uh, like I mean, my son and I, we have this weird relationship where I kind of like, we kind of pick on each other and he like, he really busts on me. Right. So, uh, so one time he he's you know he's leaving the room and he's like you know I'm gonna go to the bathroom I'm like go ahead there's a monster in the toilet it's gonna bite you in the butt and he's like oh Edgar yeah so he goes ah ha, ha, whatever you know and he walks away I'm like no really there's a monster in the toilet look they they come out of the toilet and I brought up ghoulies right and I showed him a picture of the poster where the monster's popping his little head out mm -hmm. with the sharp teeth you know out of the toilet I and that. and I said look this is real and he's like. And he's like, no, it's not. And he walks away and then he comes back. He's like, will you come to the bathroom with me? And then after that, my wife was like so angry because. Oh, I bet she was. <laughs> oh, man, I got so much grief for this. She she said, uh, and rightfully so. I mean, it was a stupid thing. I was just messing with him. I had to tell him that it was fake. You know, like I showed him pictures. Look, it's a puppet. Like, I, you know, you find like the, the pre-production kind of photos where they're like making the puppets move and all that stuff. And you see there's like a dude with his hand or whatever inside the puppet. It, it, it still wasn't good enough. My son was afraid of going to the bathroom from then, from that point on for like a, a year. And it was, it so, was. That sticks with you though. And at that age too, like I remember being at my cousin's house once and I'm just remembering this now. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here for. He locked me in the basement closet where there was a, a red light. When you did the pull, it was like a red spooky light. It wasn't just like a white light. And there was a poster of Freddie in the basement. Like, and she did this to scare people. Mm -hmm. And I was young. I mean, five or six. And my mom had to pretend, which again, this means nothing to me at that age because I don't know who Freddie is. But my mom had to get like, pretend to be a Ghostbuster at night mm -hmm. and bust my room of ghosts. Nice. Because I thought Freddie ghosts because I didn't understand what Freddie was at that age and my mom was pissed at my cousin like and she's adopted by the way so my mom's like your goddamn adopted cousin um <laughs> and she was old. she was a brat she's still a brat today and she's 42 years old um but she scared the shit out of me and that's a young age to be locked in a closet with a scary light and a poster p.s yeah um 
and that I mean that'll that'll definitely and again with psycho uh taking showers didn't happen for a while we went back to baths for a while there were no showers happening had to have that thing pulled so that I could see the door to the bathroom no so I mean your son was right like if you told him that he's then going to be like oh maybe there is something to this yeah no I I I totally messed that up I totally totally messed it up I that he wasn't your friend and that he was your little son in that moment and you were giving him a hard time yes yes because i mean for the most part my, my little dude he's he's my little dude i mean he, I'm, he'll he'll make fun of me he calls me poop butt you know he's just like he's got these weird little names he calls me all kinds of silly stuff and i call him silly stuff and it's like we're bros right but yeah, you know, it's like, no, you're, you're not bros. You're, you're a grown man. You're not bros. Yeah. And honestly, I check the toilet every time I have to pee. This is probably TMI, but I've always had like this. And it's not because I think the ghoulies are in there. I've always had the idea that like a rat could come up through the sewer or something. So I always check my toilet. <laughs> never happened. Never been a rat in my toilet. Never been a snake in my toilet. But I've always heard like, you know, snakes escape from people's houses and find their ways in pipes. I check the toilet every single time and make sure there's not something in there. I've never had that fear of all the things I've been afraid of. I mean, I've been afraid. Well, of now you will. Now you're going to check your toilet tonight. So. <laughs> you know, you know, like uh, we were talking last week, uh, uh, Candyman was on the list last week. And uh, mm. uh, I before we even did the podcast, I remember going to the bed uh, to the bathroom at, in the middle of the night and check in the mirror. I just Ooh. look at the mirror and, and I and I remember thinking, don't say candy man. Don't even, don't even. It's like one of those things. Well, you it's just like, did twice. You just did twice. I need a mirror though. <laughs> Tonight, and I've got this big my actually the whole wall that's a mirror in my place, but I that movie also was set in Chicago. So I always thought that there was some chance that he could get me because he was close by. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's that there's not help the situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and let's you talk. You know, there's a new one coming out too, right? Oh yes, yes, they're making it. I don't know if it's is it a remake or what or continuance. Um, or it's a remake with a slightly different like storyline, but I know mm. that it's being done by Jordan Peele, who did Get Out, which is Ooh. amazing. He is so talented, and between Get Out and Us, which have you seen that one with Lapita? Um, I'm not gonna be able to say her name last name properly. I have I've seen I've seen no way to have I seen us I've is seen, the one where the people look like you. I've seen them both actually, now that I think about it. They're both fantastic movies. Filmmaker, yeah. So I'm just excited about that because I know that some of it was filmed in Chicago. Um, mm. I think Cabrini Green, the project that the project building that um the original film is set is somehow brought into the storyline and then the original actress from um the first movie or the original movie has some kind of like cameo in it um she wasn't a very good actress um but i think that that whole like film and his voice like scared the crap out of me yeah he's he's got a great voice um yeah and i think a role i think he plays Candyman again or he has some sort of role in this new movie oh i hope he plays Candyman again i i, yeah. I can't see anybody else playing Candyman, especially with that voice is, uh tony todd his name is tony, tony todd yeah so let's see if he's actually coming out in this movie though 
I just want to check because um, I, I can't, his voice is so powerful that I can't really see somebody else doing it, but you never know. I mean, oh, yep. Wait. Yeah. Coming out in 2021. It's already completed. Oh, He's wow. Candy. Oh, yeah. awesome. Awesome. I also think it delves a bit into his past more. So you see more of the legend of Candyman and not just the story from the, the point of view of some white lady. It's more getting into the, like, um, you know, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I've had a long day, Edgar. Uh, <laughs> kind of the, um, the, the mystical world of Candyman and getting into the actual, like, origin story of, um, you know, his life as opposed to just the people that are murdered by him. Yeah. Oh, man, that movie was so goddamn scary. It's um, getting dark out. I'm scared. <laughs> well, we only we haven't even gotten to number four. Number four is. Oh my uh, gosh! I know. I know. We need to move it along. Yeah, oh I gosh. know. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to steer the ship here. <laughs> <laughs> but we keep we keep jumping on to all these other topics. And I'm like, oh yeah, and then and then yes. I know. Yeah. So uh, I can't. I'm not. I'm not good at it either. So uh, Jaws, 1975. Wow, is it 75? Oh, 1975. And I'm also really good with remembering years of movies for some reason. So first of all, Jaws, um, I had the biggest crush on Richard Dreyfuss in that movie. Are you I serious? Saw that movie. <laughs> it's so weird. He's like five, five and he's like weird and like scrub like, he's got his little like goofy beard and his little glasses right. for whatever reason. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was very like sarcastic and quippy. And even as a kid, I was kind of starting to understand sarcasm for the first time. And I was young, but I remember just liking that character. Um, he um, obviously is the shark um, expert, so to speak, um, in terms of um, from the science perspective of things in the film. And then you've got um, Robert Shaw, who played Quint, who is the guy who owns the boat, who is this goofy, goofy character, um, who basically says, pay me a bunch of money and I'll kill this damn shark. Yeah. And then you have Scheider who plays the police chief. Brody. And it, you know what? Again, this is another movie where even at a young age, I understood like all the storytelling aspects and the characters as they, you know, this movie really is about them more than it is just about this giant shark that is literally eating up Amity Island. Yeah. Um, but I saw this at a young age too. And between having so many great quotable lines and everything else, it's just, it put the fear in so many people of ever getting back into an actual body of water and even a pool. I have friends who will not get into a pool late at night because <laughs> they think Jaws is in the effing pool. Oh my goodness. Oh <laughs> I mean, my that's goodness. Next level scared of water. But uh -huh. um, and one of the coolest things that happened a couple years ago, um, they've maybe done it more than once, is that adjacent to Chicago and Indiana on the waterfront of Lake Michigan, they do a screening of Jaws and you sit in like blow up like seats in the water while you're watching the movie wait a minute in chicago in indiana so oh, indiana. Lake Michigan. oh that's yeah. amazing and again we don't have sharks but there's big fish in there and just the idea of watching a movie while you're in a big body of water like lake michigan which looks like an ocean because you can't see the end of it i mean 
and even if it wasn't right you've got movies like Lake Placid and all this stuff like there are scary things in the water and the idea of watching that movie while in the water with your like legs dangling that's so freaking scary yeah you know you know what's funny is it's like I I didn't remember this movie very well uh, but it was funny because I, I I did see it very very young and I was petrified of the water I was afraid of the water I, I think it's one of the reasons why I can't swim very well because I would not get in the water um, for a long time and I, we would go to Lake Michigan and you know on the beach and stuff and I would not get in the water and this movie did that to me and it was funny because when you when you told me that this was one of your movies I was like oh yeah Jaws I remember that movie and I'm like oh wait a minute I actually don't remember this movie so I went in and watched it again and wow like I didn't realize what a beautiful movie it is because I mean first of all it, it's one of the few horror movies uh, that is that is kind of shot almost completely in daylight it's yeah. there's there's a lot of daylight scenes but the mm -hmm. monster still ends up being hidden because because it's underwater it's 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 a wonderful idea plus like one of the opening shots is you you get this clear blue sky and you get all this water and and you see the vastness of of the of the water right so you see like you don't really get it then but it's like oh it can hide everywhere here like you can't see it anywhere here. it might as well just be invisible but i remember thinking like wow this is a beautiful movie because it's like really it's I, it's like the it's i forgot what what it's called like cinescope or something i think because it was yeah because it was really the it, it's really the, the dimensions it's really elongated mm -hmm. and uh but i was like Very wow wide really wide yeah it's a really wide you know uh, aspect ratio and i was just like damn this is like I was sitting there, I was just like, man, I'm enjoying this movie. Like I enjoyed it, like like from the aesthetics, and I enjoyed it from from like the storytelling. It holds up, you know, because I mean, I just watched it yesterday, and it holds up really well, you know. Like there, I, there wasn't anything like ah, there's a freaking cell phone there, and it's like a hundred years old. No, there was none of that. It was it was it's like forty five years old, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's an old movie, and it does definitely hold up. And you could show that to somebody in a current, you know, uh, in this new generation of kids. And if you like film, you will respect it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And and it was, it was, there was a little gore because you see some blood and stuff, right? But mm -hmm. it wasn't like, it wasn't, it, it, it was, it was, it was just, it was a good movie. I mean, it's uh, director Steven Spielberg, right? So it's like, wow, this is, this movie still holds up. It's a pretty good movie. I, like, I enjoyed it. I'll probably watch it again, you know? Um, uh, you should watch some of the documentaries about it too. I don't want to get too deeply into that, but you know, the, the shark that they worked with was never working properly. They were always having to shut down production. Spielberg was like, it's very possible this movie's going to come out and ruin my career. And instead it did the exact opposite. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Cause, uh, I did see that in, in the IMDB, they had, they have a mm -hmm. few sharks and they had trouble with the sharks and they had like Bruce. one, one, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce, because it was named after his lawyer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I just, I, I have to say, like, it, it's definitely a film that, and you're not going to believe me, I've probably seen over 150 times, maybe. Wow. Um, 
if it was on TV when I was a kid after seeing it for the first time, we had it, I would watch it, even though it was with commercials. It was usually on WGN uh, locally in Chicago. Then we had the VHS, then we had the DVD. And I even told my best friend when we were little kids, try, try this one out. I was born in 1982. I told her that the movie, I was in the movie, which came out in 1975. <laughs> so she stayed up late one night watching it on TV and her mom was mad because she didn't have a TV in her room and she was watching it in the living room. And her mom was like, saw the light on and was like, what's going on? Why are you down here? And, you know, late at night. Oh, uh, Emily's in this movie and I need to look for the part where she's in, but I don't know which part it is. And her mom was like, uh, Tracy, that movie came out before you guys were born. So you need to go to bed now. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. That's awesome. I love that story. <laughs> the movie that I wanted to be part of it somehow. So I just put myself in part of the cast. I'm in the movie now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she had never seen it. So she was pretty scared after watching it. And it's another one that I saw at a very young age, but for whatever reason, it's made me, especially since it's based on a book by Peter Benchley, he says years later, you know, a shark would not do this, especially what happens in the horrible um, sequels that come after. Jaws stands on its own. The sequels don't waste your time. Mm. But it eventually becomes this thing like in the third or fourth movie where it's like coming after the mother character and like her family specifically, like it's a serial killer. Sharks don't have the capacity in their brains for that. And Peter Benchley, the author of the book, said he really felt bad about giving sharks a bad name. And he did donate and spread awareness of all these different um, environmental groups that were working to um, save the sharks. And I have a shark tattoo. I'm into sharks in general and reading about them. So this movie kind of, while it's scary and it's well done and it's all these things, it also just really instilled a love of sharks in me. And even though it's done in this way, that's like, you know, not necessarily accurate to what a shark would actually do. Um, but it's also just the characters are so good in it. And there's a speech that uh, Quint gives um, about, so I guess originally what happened is that they needed to give a reason or a backstory for him to why he was so strange and so out there. And then he has this scene, which I'm sure you'll remember from the movie, um, where he talks about uh, the story of the Indianapolis. And basically it's why his character won't wear a life jacket. And he talks about being on this boat in the 1940s. Um, and they're supposed to be delivering this atomic bomb that's gonna be dropped on Hiroshima. And basically 900 men went into the water and then only 300 something came back out and they were all you know, there was different things like drowning and all that, but many of the men were eaten by sharks. And he was basically there in the water hoping to be saved, just seeing people get pulled under or hearing them scream or having their legs torn off or God knows what. And this is a real story that happened. I mean, not from the perspective of Quint, the character, of course, because he's a fictional character, mm -hmm. but that story and the way he delivers it, that scared me almost more than some of the scenes with the shark jaws in the film mm -hmm. the idea that you were in a dark place you can't see anything and he he made the visuals happen in your mind he really gave you like a painting in your brain of what that would have been like and that more than anything scared me that idea of now every time i would go in the ocean 
I would think about the fact that I can't see what's below me. Mm-hmm. And this is something that um, a movie that I mentioned earlier, The Haunting from the 60s, also did very well. The idea that there's something there, but you can't see it. When you show the monster, when you show the bad guy, it's ruined. It better yeah. be great because it's ruined after that point. With Jaws, just like The Haunting, there's something there that you can't see and it's just doing these things and they're happening, but you're not usually visually able to see it except for when you occasionally see the fin and of course later when they go to kill the shark. But throughout most of the most of the movie, you don't even see the shark, but it's doing these things and you know they're happening. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, the first scene, like you don't see the woman being ripped apart you just see her mm-hmm. top part of her body being shook, right? Oh, and, being pulled around yeah, side to side. Which side is scary to side. enough the way she's dragged through the water. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, how did they do this back then? You know, it, it was. Oh, I, I read something on that. And that girl's legs were very messed up after they, they had some kind of pulleys on her legs and they were literally manually pulling her around the water. Ooh. Back then, CGI was not a thing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I mean, her know. legs were fine. She had loser legs, but I mean, she had like bruising and her legs were really messed up because mm. they were basically just told she didn't want to know what they were going to do uh-huh. because she wanted to be surprised. Yeah. And when she was acting and feel like she was really experiencing it. So they literally were just kind of doing it randomly. And I'm like, that's terrifying yeah. as an actor. Yeah. And you know, any big actor today would not have that, you know, they'd have something in their claws that said, you can't do random shit and hurt my body. I mean, they won't even do like half these people won't do action scenes or anything. And here this woman was like, just go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what it is. That's amazing. What a, what a, what a brave little actress she was. Cause I mean, she gets, she's done in that one scene. Yeah. Yeah. She's done in the first five, 10 minutes, you know, but like, but she does get to be the most famous kind of character in an opening scene. And also when you think about the Jaws um, posters, it's probably not even that actress who's on the poster, but it's the idea of a girl swimming and the shark's big, huge, massive mouth, you mm-hmm. know, below her. So she is, although she has a very tiny role in the film, I mean, what a film to be in. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, and that scene is terrifying. That movie, that, I mean, that that scene scared, really scared me. And there was a couple of jump scares that legitimately scared me. I was like, wow, you know, like when he just pops out of the water. And I'm like, I couldn't help it. I was like sitting there, I was just like, what a what a good movie. You know, it was really good. Cause I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's daylight. They're, they don't have that trope of using darkness, you know, to, to hide the monster. You don't, you don't, you can't see the dark, the, the monster and it's, broad daylight it's amazing i loved it i loved because I, I didn't realize that part of it but uh, also like uh the the uh, quint character where he's basically i mean basically what like after a while you get over the the scariness of it he's it's it's the dragon and the dragon hunter and his two mm-hmm. squires or whatever you want to call them yeah yeah, yeah because that's who he is he's the He's the you know, warrior who's who's had experience, as you're saying. He's a professional. <laughs> He's a professional beast killer, and this is the monster that he kills. This is the dragon that he has to slay. The only thing is, is that he doesn't have wings. He has fins. And I was just like, wow, like it takes this fairy tale kind of like piece of it, you know, and and 
and sticks it in the water. I was just like, I, I, there were so many pieces of it that made me think, wow, what, what an imagination, especially in a time when you don't have the, uh, the equipment or the technology mm -hmm. to kind of pull some of this off. You know, like I didn't know that about the pulleys. It makes me love the movie even more. And just thinking about how all those things have to come together, right? Because if that had been done by a different director with a different cast and a different cinematographer, that would have not been the same movie. It would have been garbage. And there've been other movies about killer sharks, right? And they're all trash. Yeah. And it, it and again, it's so weird that Spielberg thought this was going to be a huge disaster because of how filming was affected by the technological aspect of Bruce the shark, but it ended up coming together and it, it's forever now, like the last line of the movie is um, something along the lines of like, oh, let me try to think of it. It's Brody, so Chief Brody says, like, I used to hate the water. And then Dreyfus's character says, I can't imagine why. It's <laughs> <laughs> so on this like funny sarcastic note as they're holding on to a piece of the boat and basically kicking back to get to back to shore and then this like very like weird charming music plays and it shows them getting to shore with the credits roll and it's like still daylight and mm -hmm. they're getting out onto the sand and it's like I didn't really think about that I mean obviously I've seen the movie a million times but it is a movie where um one of the scenes you're probably mentioning and again jump scares are garbage in so many movies and they're used just for that you know that theater aspect and get people to be afraid for one second and it's like you know it's coming but when he's chumming the water, when Brody is chumming the water and putting in the dead fish, uh, it he turns and then sees it come up because Jaws is obviously a shark and smells the blood and the chum makes him come. And again, it's beautiful blue water, beautiful blue skies, beautiful day with big puffy white clouds. And yet you're terrified. And it's like, where else, like what other creature could make you and it's not even the creature, it's the directing, it's the acting, it's the film techniques. Because yeah. again, this come from other people with all the same kind of aspects, but it it needs to be done well. And there's no, in my opinion, there's no matching this movie. Like I would not be watching this movie year after year again and again, if it wasn't done well. And it still scares me, it still makes me laugh. Um, the scene with the mother and the boy makes me sad every time when she slaps Brody in the face because, again, he knew about this happening. The mayor knew. Reminds us of something maybe going on right now, like yeah. mm, COVID-19. <laughs> and the idea that this may... So there was a meme going around that made me laugh. And uh, I didn't pull it up, so let me think about it. But it was along the lines of like, what's going on with COVID right now is like if the mayor and Trump getting COVID, um, that's like if the mayor of Amity Island in Jaws got eaten by a shark 14 times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this guy is in such denial. He wants to make money off of the summer on this island, in this island town. And he doesn't give a shit about the people of his community who are literally getting eaten by a creature in the water where he's pushing everyone to go every day in the summer. And that whole aspect of it makes me want to just throw something at that character every single time. I, it, it was, it was crazy because this movie is, is 45 years old and I'm sitting here thinking, fuck, did this guy can, t can this guy tell the future? Like what the fuck? Like that's, this is exactly kind of the thing that's going on right now. You have, you have leadership 
wanting or lack of leadership, or lack of leadership people with with interest in in keeping the you know business as is because they're economy, afraid, economy booming yeah to keep the economy booming which is a, a valid a valid concern but over over the safety over the lives of other people for the dollar right like we can bounce we can we can you can always bounce back from financial hardship because at least you're still alive you can't come back from death at least no, you're not supposed to, <laughs> you know. That's another movie, Edgar. <laughs> that, that's a completely different movie. Usually you don't come back right. <laughs> but yeah, it's, but, it's like yeah. so timely. It's, I'm like, I'm like, how, how? It's just like, wow, that's, that's the other, that's another part of this that makes it such good storytelling that somehow they're, they have the ability, these people have the ability to look into the future and make these, these, these topics, write a, tell a story on these topics that will forever, like, be constant like will always be will always be something present or a concern that we can valid, validly worry about in, in any time it's it's just i was like what like i I, yeah. I it was another reason when you when you told me about this movie and i and i went and watched it i was so happy that i went and watched it and it was on your list because i was like this is great I, and i rented it and now i wish i bought it you know like i'll probably go ahead yeah. and buy it you know because I'll, I'll watch i want to show Oh, show it to the kids. <laughs> I want to. I want to show it to the wife because, like, my wife, okay. like, it's scary enough where it's like it's it's a you know makes it exciting because it's a, it's that's the other thing. It's an exciting movie. It's it's mm -hmm. not just scary. It's exciting. You know, it's it's it's, a, it's like an adventure, right? Because they go out into the into the into the ocean and they're hunting this thing. It's it's they got their their, their little boat in the middle of you know monster country. It's it's great and. I enjoyed, I enjoyed every second of it. I, I, I loved it. I was just like, damn, this movie's so good. I was like, oh, yes. It's timeless because in it's a lot of this is due to Spielberg. He always brings in the family aspect to all of his movies, whether it's the mother who loses the child, uh, missed all of this, so the mayor denying that there's anything wrong or not telling people rather. Um, obviously, Brody knows something is up, but um, the public doesn't um Brody's own family his own concerns for his family and then one of the things the mayor says at one point which made me want to punch him in the face but yeah. oh my own kids are on that beach my own kids were on that beach as he like smokes his cigarette and realizes oh the shark is real and Spielberg always brings it back to family and a story with heart and characters that you care about because mm -hmm. if you didn't care about Brody or Quint if you didn't find, um, you know, Dreyfus's character amusing, which I mean, I think that's a big part of his character, but when he goes down in the cage, you don't, when, and then he doesn't come back up, you're worried about him. You care about this character at that point. Yeah. And Spielberg just makes you care about people. And if you have a movie like so many others where you don't do that character development, people don't care and there's no heart to the center of the film. And with this one, you've got adventure, you've got the unknown, you have a family, you have a political thing kind of playing out at the same time. Uh, you have a summer movie that shows the fun parts of summer <laughs> and everyone going to the beach until it's no fun anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's got so many different layers and it's not just one thing. And I think that's even truth of what we talked about with Silence of the Lambs. Like movies have to have layers, otherwise they're not good. If it's one note, that's mm -hmm. why it's garbage. And yeah. It's going to be garbage for 
forever, whereas this is timeless, in my opinion. Yeah, it is absolutely timeless. It, it, and and the, again, I don't know how he was able to kind of, kind of keep all the all the technology of the time out of the film because that is another part of it that makes it like timeless. Because if you would have seen, I don't know, one telephone booth or one 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 anything, you know, like you'd be like you'd be the the suspension of disbelief would have been broken. You would have been like, oh, this is an old movie, you know, but like just just uh, something that I wanted to kind of tell you, I, I ran this into the I ran this I ran into this in on the INDB. Apparently, uh, Robert Shaw's character, Quint and Richard Dreyfuss character, uh, uh, Hooper, uh, in real like they they have that that relationship where they kind of hate each other a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're kind of just kind of messing with each other the whole time. They actually did not get along on the set in real life. They hate, they hated each other. And, and I was like, that's great because that was a great movie. They, you know, they, they hated each other, but you know, it played well on film, you know. And they played off that whole aspect of it, right? They played off each other in that kind of like, I'm jabbing at you, F you, I'm jabbing at you kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I know Dreyfus has been quoted years later about that whole situation. Um, but having that dynamic totally just, again, made it a better film for it because that's what we saw. And if they were best friends, I mean, a lot of actors do this where they'll stay separated from someone they're not supposed to like in a movie because if they become friends with them in real life, it will sort of influence the performance a bit if you're not a high, high quality actor. I think the average person needs to stay away from their, you know, um, enemy or their, um, um, someone they're not, antagonist, someone they're not supposed to enjoy in the film, um, whether that's, you know, hatred or not getting along with them, personality dynamic, whatever. Um, but yeah, that, that just adds to the whole film as a whole. And, um, yeah, and to your, to your point though, about like technology, um, you see the older cars, you see the typewriter in the secretary's office, yeah. but again, it's not like seeing an eighties movie where someone has a chunky cell phone. Right. Right. And it ruins it for you a little bit. Like you still know, okay, this is set in the eighties, but in this scenario, it's the shark, it's the people, it's the water. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So here, let's uh, let's move on and, and uh, do your number three. Uh, you have The Shining for number three, 1980. Oof. Okay, here's another one. Yeah, I, I've watched this one a lot too. Um, it's long. Again, it's based on a book. Um, the author of the book um, really hated the film, but that does not diminish my love for the film. Um, so Stanley Kubrick was the director of the film and, um, Stephen King is the writer, one, right? Stephen it's, King wrote the original yeah, book. Yes. Yeah. And he hated, hated the movie adaptation. Um, really? And when they're, oh yeah. It, if you read the book, the book is very different from the film. Um, he took a lot of, um, liberties, uh, Kubrick did, um, mm -hmm. that being said, Kubrick knows how to put terror in a person. And Edgar, you and I have talked about this topic before, the idea of ghosts and the paranormal and things coming for you that you don't know where, when and where they're gonna be. That aspect of it for me, in addition with the idea that this is set in a giant hotel that has you know, been cleared out of all its employees and Jack Nicholson and his wife played by uh, Shelley Duvall, they are living here as caretakers for the winter season. Um, 
when the hotel shuts down with their young son. And the idea of, first of all, being isolated, you have that aspect, right? Um, which a lot of us can <laughs> identify with right now to some uh, degree. Um, but also being up in the mountains in the snow, um, the movie opens with um, the little boy um, asking about questions after Jack Nicholson brings up the Donner party, which is um, essentially people that had to eat each other um, because they were stuck out in the wilderness with nothing to eat. And so it already starts off on that strange note. And you also see that there's something going on with Jack, right? He's mm -hmm. got a drinking problem. He's mentally not doing great, but he gets this job to be the caretaker. And then slowly but surely, the ghosts just start appearing and they are, they look like real people because they are ghosts of real people. And that every moment where you have a person in this film, whether it's the woman in the bathtub or the twin girls who are essentially chopped up in little pieces by their father with an ax or the, um, the bartender, um, you have these characters that are real people. They're not goblins. They're not ghosts in that way, but they are people who have been in this situation Jack is now in himself, which is they, this is the old caretaker and his daughters that are now dead and coming back as these malevolent like ghosts entities. And you have this bartender, which is basically goading Jack to take a drink as an alcoholic who also has a history of maybe abusing his son a little bit when he's drunk. So there are so many different themes that did come from the King book. So Stephen King's book had all these things going on, but the way it's filmed to this day, it's another movie like Silence of the Lambs where people like buy the kit, they buy the gear, they have like rugs. I have a rug in the print from The Shining Rug in the movie, <laughs> like I have. Uh, they, they, people wear t-shirts with the twins on them. People have little uh, key rings that say the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. People like love this kind of movie because again, timeless in my opinion, it stands up. I've never been to the location that it was inspired for directly the outside of the hotel. But last year I went to Yosemite and um, we actually were staying on the grounds where the hotel that inspired the interiors for the film uh, was. And I took pictures of the red doors where the blood in the film like yeah. comes out and this fantastical thing that the little boy Danny sees. And I think at one point Jack might even see it. And I was in this hotel and I was like, something's, the minute I walked in, cause I, I knew something about it, but it, again, it wasn't filmed there, but it was just inspired by it. And the minute I walked into this grand ballroom, I was like, holy shit this is identical. And I was like, taking pictures, taking pictures. So a friend of mine, her um, cousin was working at Yosemite and lived uh -huh. on the grounds. So um, he then told us about the history of that. And I was just like, I'm getting every picture I can in this room. I should have really taken a picture of myself by the doors. I'm an idiot. But I took pictures of like all the different aspects of it because those are the images that stick in people's heads yes. to this day. Yes, I mean one of the one of the things about Stanley Cooper. And first of all, you got you got so much more guts than I have. I would not be taking pictures. I would be running out of there, like bathing in holy water, hoping that nothing would follow me out of there. But uh, the Stanley Kubrick, he's got 
more than the other uh, directors have has a really kind of handle on the you know a, 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 on the photography part of of filmmaking. He's got such rich colors uh, uh, in this movie, and this is one of those other movies that I try to go watch back, uh, watch over again because I do remember it, but I don't um, I don't remember all the pieces of it as as well as I do some of these other movies. And but one one thing that sticks out in my head very clearly is that scene where the kid has that uh, premonition and there's all that blood coming out of the elevators and just washing over that hallway. And in my memory, and this is how crazy it is. In my memory, that blood is redder than than the actual film, but it's because that's what I thought it was. You know, and but not to get not to get it wrong, it's a also very if it wasn't for the scary theme of it, it's a very beautiful, you know, scene, right? Like richness and color. Oh, absolutely. It's got a richness and color. It's deep, it, deep red, deep yellow, mm. deep oranges. And I think that's again, why people are so inspired by like just the uh, decor and the set de decoration and the set mm -hmm. design of the film, mm -hmm. because those colors stay with you long after you've watched the film. Yeah. And there's all, that famous scene where the kid's riding the, that big wheel or whatever through the hallway and he runs into the twins. And, and, and that is iconic. He's got so many, so many pieces We're of this. Framed so well. Yes. Yes. So many pieces of this movie is, is iconic. They're they're They will forever be part of like, of like film history. You will always remember these scenes, even if you don't remember the rest of the movie. Like I remember these visuals excuse me and, and, and it's 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 a, it's a great movie i was watching it again i got i got halfway through and i i didn't remember that um that man that the little boy talked to in the beginning the the, the so one... you know what's interesting about that like i've not when i have not seen that movie for a while which at this point i i watch it fairly um at least once a year, probably. But for some years, I didn't see it for a while. And I completely forgot about Scatman Crothers. And I forgot about The Shining is the whole thing that this man has. And he sees it in the boy. Because I'm so focused on those, like you said, iconic images and the bathtub scene and all these things that I'm like, oh, hell, there's a whole other plot line of him coming into the story yeah. that I completely like almost forgot about. Yeah, I forgot completely that that was the shining that he, what he describes that power, the ability to kind of like either uh, have like, like you can telepathically speak to people or you have this ability to see into the future, or I don't know what it is exactly, but you have this ESP, right? This, this extra power. And I was just like, what? I didn't know that. Like, that's a cool name in the shining, you know, I don't think I'll ever use it because it's got that whole creepy neck, you know, Jack Nicholson thing to it now, but still it's like it's a cool I mean, name it's isn't it's a cool idea it's kind of like um i think some people have described it as like somewhere in between like a marriage of telepathy and being clairvoyant at the same time so it is kind of like esp i have a little bit of that but again we've talked about this before i think if you hone something like that and you work on it just like dream work if you practice certain things in your life, just like anything else, you exercise, you, you know, do brain skills, you, you know, do puzzles. It, it heightens that ability. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a scary thing that if you, I certainly don't have any kind of like 
telepathy or I can't read minds or anything like that. But if you practice those things, it's kind of scary at the same time, because you're almost inviting that to be brought in or to um, be able to connect with people that way or otherworldly things. And I don't need any of that in my life. So I don't do that. At the same time, Danny's ability and Dick is the, um, the character who also has the shine, um, the ability to shine, um, their connection in that way makes it even more interesting. And then you've also got the, um, the character of the little boy that lives in Danny's mouth. He, oh, yes. he thinks there's in his mouth. So there's all these just weird things about the kid trying to understand this ability he has because he doesn't know what it is. He's also got this father who's borderline abusive. He's got his mom who's crazy as shit. Let's let's be honest. She's she's crazy lady. Um, <laughs> not in the way Jack is, but she's just wacky. Um, and I read a lot about the filming of this movie, and I guess they all hated her and whatnot, which oh, was just interesting. Really? Which is sad because yeah, which is sad because it's like, oh, is that why you then try to butcher her? Because Jack Nicholson and her did not get along. I guess she's kind of quirky, wacky, and Jack. Jack is strange, but not to that level. Um, but there's so many moments of this movie that, again, you kind of forget about because you're so focused on those moments that stick with you forever and that have become pop culture, right? Yes. Um, and also, I would recommend to you, the movie is not great, but, um, and I know you won't read the book because the book is long as hell, but um, Dr. Sleep is a book that Stephen King wrote about Danny as an adult. And he's able to use this ESP, this shine with other people. If you have time to watch the movie, Dr. Sleep, uh, Danny's played by Ewan McGregor. Um, It's a long movie. Um, A lot of it is just kind of like, again, his alcohol, he's got alcoholism and it's him seeing a girl that has the ability he does. But then they at some point go back to the hotel. Mm. And that part is like the part I was looking forward to visually to see how they did that because like, let's be serious. You're never going to match up to Kubrick's genius and replicate that. But those images stick with you so long that when you have a chance to go back to this story in this place, you want to take it. It's like watching, I don't know, you know, your favorite Disney movie for the first time. It's like going back to childhood or going back to that moment. Cause you'll never get the chance to see something again for the first time. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I have, I'm, I'm like, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go finish that movie. And then now that you brought that up, I'm glad because now I have to go watch that. I'll have to go watch Dr. Sleep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because if you like those aspects of The Shining, then you will find this movie interesting. Again, it's not done the same way. It's more of a thriller and a psychological thing and a drama than it is horror until they get back to the hotel. Um, but it's revisiting these characters and these ideas and these, you know, images that were so visceral. And I mean, I've had dreams about that hallway and about the rug. I mean, the rugs in my house, but you know, (laughs) Um, but it's, it's, I I go a little over overboard on stuff. I love, I don't know even what, what do they even call that when you become obsessed with like, like I have like pieces in my house that remind me of the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's because mm-hmm. I really like that. I like bring stuff into my home and I'm not talking like 
garbage stuff that's made from some like company that, you know, I'm talking about stuff from like Etsy and websites where like these artists have created something super interesting based on a film. I like that kind of stuff because it brings it into my world. And again, I've been influenced by movies and I love them and it's part of my life. So why not? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I would not bring a haunted rug into my house. It's not haunted. It's just the print from the movie with the orange and the red and the black. Yeah, no, I, I'm too much of a chicken for that. I'm too much. Of, no, <laughs> you got and it's not even my aesthetic. Like it's not yeah. a pretty rug, but yeah. people see it and they go, oh, the shining. And I'm like, yes, got it. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, uh, uh, where's the door? <laughs> girls, girls weird. Girls weird. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that. I don't know. I mean, the average person sees a movie once and doesn't talk about it ever again. For me, it's part of my life. It's part of like, it's informed my creativity. It's informed my interest in film. Mm -hmm. It's also informed those things like set design, something I never thought about as a little kid. But then as I got older, you think about these movies where you don't even look twice, maybe in the corner of the room. Somebody has spent days, weeks putting something together like, for example, a good example would be Harry Potter. Yeah. There's some movie where they have like, they created entire books that you see for half a beat. You open it up, there's words, there's a cover. It's a special spell book. There's little, you know, the people that spend the time on those little details, that is more interesting to me than, I don't know, like some big thing blowing up. Woohoo. I mean, I like action films, but yeah, a lot of action films, you rewatch them and you can spot all the errors, you know? Yeah. And you have these people who are more focused on the little details that make a movie special. And if I can watch a movie and not find anything wrong with it, I'm impressed because there's too many TV shows where, you know, someone's doing something off. There was a bottle there. It's gone. Um, you know, if, if people are not able to, um, kind of create an atmosphere where you feel like you're in that room or in that world, then it loses all power. It, it's like seeing like the Game of Thrones when they had the Starbucks cup, you know? Like oh on. Jesus, yeah, yeah. They're, they yeah they have whole teams of people. Yeah, somebody lost their job for that, I think. But they, yeah. they have they have whole teams of people that that specialize on continuity. They just sit there and yes, they make sure that the the cup is here or not the cup, but like the book and like yeah. And there's set designers. There's whole teams of people that make this movie happen and to to make it immersive. And yeah, to there's very few people that actually kind of, you know, uh, appreciate all that work because there's there is a ton of work. That's why these movies cost so much. If you want a good yeah. movie, you want to be immersed in a in in a new world, it, there has there's these details that make it. That and make again, it you don't have to be a set designer to like understand this. I didn't go to school for these things. Hmm. I have not been on more than a couple film sets in my entire life. I've not watched these people work at their job, but they're things that for me, just like a good book, um, like if you have gaps, they stand out. Yeah. And that that ruins the whole experience for you. And when you have that attention to detail, the most minute things that that can make or break a movie for me, because again, um, you think about uh, movies like, um, I can't think of one that I saw in person, um, so to speak, but I just drove by it. They were filming the movie Public Enemies with Johnny Depp in Chicago about mm. 10 years ago. And I was really hungover. And I drove down Lincoln Avenue and I'm looking like in traffic, I'm slowing down and I'm looking at all the storefronts 
And I'm like, is that restaurant not there anymore? Is that bookshop not there? Why is why is that look all like weird? What's this weird old timey? I'm like, oh my God, I forgot they were working on this movie and they've literally changed every storefront to look like it did um, at the Biograph Theater in the 1930s. And I'm like, okay, idiot, like wake up. But I was hungover, but that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. But I, I, I realized like the attention to detail for scenes that really did not go on very long, they, they transformed an entire two blocks of Chicago for that. Yeah. And then the attention to costumes and all the little details. And, you know, someone has a, I've seen movies where someone is still wearing their wedding ring and the character is not supposed to be married. Yeah. Take your wedding ring off. You're ruining it for me. Like it's this, it's something where, again, this is why movies are expensive. You need someone on set who does pay attention to these things because if no one's doing it, it's ruined. It's fucked. It's over. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The, the suspension of disbelief is, is, is broken. Right. So, but like, uh, you know, what's funny. Like I was, I was um, not too far from, from where we work. Uh, they shot, they shot some scenes for, uh, I believe Batman begins or the second Batman, which is, I think dark, dark, Knight. no dark night. Yeah. So then like, uh, someone was like walking around with some rubble and they just, it was, I, I guess it was foam and they just picked it up. And I'm like, Ooh, that looks heavy. And she, it was a woman, she little dainty woman just goes over. She had like a little headset, like, all right, I'll move it. Blah, blah, blah. She gets up, she grabs this rock, this giant piece of rubble. And she just walks around with it. I'm like, Holy cow. That's it's like movie magic. I'm like, someone, someone made that. And it looks real. Like it looks real to me, like up front. It's not just real for the camera. It's like real for like, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and real rubble. It, it was, it, I, you know, what's impressive about that movie too, though, they also filmed in Chicago yet. You didn't know it was Chicago. You did if you're from Chicago, because there's yes. certainly scenes where they passed like occasionally like a pot belly in the corner of the screen. And I'm like, I know where that pot belly is. Yeah. But in general, they filmed our architecture and the darkness mm -hmm. and they did not focus in on specific buildings because, of course, it's supposed to be Gotham. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to use a city that's so close to me in terms of I've lived here my entire life. And I recognize it and know it's it. And it's very cool that our city's being featured in this movie, but I'm so into the story that I never even think about all that stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah, well, um, they, they don't they don't go ahead and hit and, and like shoot like the the fountain, right? Or or Willis Tower or you know, any of that. They shot what like, tower? What tower? Call it Sears Tower. Sears Tower. Sears Tower. I, I wanted to be correct, but yeah, I know it uh -huh. is Sears Tower. I actually had to think about calling it Willis Tower, but Sears Tower. <laughs> but like, yeah, every every two Chicagoan calls it Sears Tower. So I'm glad you brought that up. But like uh LaSalle, they shot they shot that scene with the Joker on LaSalle. So cool. It's so cool. And and only people like you and I know that that's LaSalle. There's another but again, scene. The way film it and the way it's done you're not thinking the whole time oh that's where i go to the bank or oh that's where i cross the street yeah. you're just like in it you're immersed in it and they shoot it so beautifully and again they're being true to the fact that like the buildings that need to say gotham say gotham like you're not seeing chicago board of trade you're seeing gotham like whatever like whatever they decide to designate these buildings yeah and 
like, again, such a massive cruise that put all that energy into that art direction to make that work. Yeah. So number two, you have Exorcist. Oh, blah, blah. Um, so it's funny because when we were talking in a different podcast about um, sleep paralysis, yeah, um, I had mentioned the idea of like the power of suggestion and you know, there's a scene in The Exorcist or a couple scenes where the mother is hearing kind of rustling in the attic. For And then at some point, her daughter, Reagan, is playing with a Ouija board, which I recently learned you're supposed to pronounce Ouija. 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 I always yeah. say Ouija board. Um, yeah. So, um, but she's playing with this board. I just ordered a new one, by the way. You ordered um, a Ouija board? Why? No, you got the haunted rug and a Ouija board now, or a Ouija well, board? The new Ouija board. They sell them on Etsy, like used or handmade. I'm like, I'm not messing with that. <laughs> not happening. Is it like a Parker but, Brothers like a Ouija yeah, board? Yeah, it's just the standard Parker one. Yeah. Okay. So well, because I had one, and my my little indicator broke, so I I couldn't just use the board with a random new indicator. So I was like, I need to get the whole thing, but um. You live so dangerously, man. I know. I will be possessed soon. So if I call and work sick, just be like, Emily's not possessed. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, she's possessed. Send but, over a priest, not a doctor. <laughs> but the fact that her mother, Chris, in the movie, um, which is my mom's name, um, I was just like really identify with the mom character for some reason. Like I just feel for her. She's an actress, but she's kind of like not aware of this world at all. Mm. And when she hears this rustling early in the movie in the attic, she thinks it's rats and her, you know, um, her staff in her house, cause she's rich and an actress um, in Georgetown there. She's filming a movie in DC uh, during the film. Um, they keep saying, there's no rats. We look, there's no rats, there's no rats. And she's like, well, there are rats. So go take care of them. For the longest time after seeing that movie, anytime I heard a noise coming from my attic, which was probably just like wind or something passing through, I was convinced that I was going to be possessed the next morning. Like it's coming for me. Cause that's what <laughs> happened. I mean, obviously Reagan is playing with the Ouija board, but she also is, there's something going on in the house. There's mm -hmm. something around, there's something there. And this power of suggestion of the movie just made me think like, oh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be possessed. I'm going to be puking up green soup. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's another example, Edgar, of a movie where there are so many identifiable things, right? The green puke that's, you know, was pea soup that they use. There's so many iconic images of the stairway that people are falling down and their heads are turned backwards. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff too where, so I saw the re-release of this movie about, oh God, I'm so old, about 20 years ago. Was and it they had a couple, oh yeah, it was around 2001. No, I saw that re-release too. Don't tell me that it's 20 years ago. I, know. I remember seeing it and now I feel like I'm a thousand years old. Um, there was the scene added from the original, which is not in the original, but from the director's cut yes. of the spider walk. So essentially Reagan, the daughter is possessed and she basically does a backbend, walks down the stairs or actually very quickly, doo -doo 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 -doo, yeah. like a spider, mm -hmm. walks down the stairs and then spits up blood. Um, the audience laughed their asses off at this part. Yeah. And I got 
so angry because I realized how these movies sometimes, while I think this movie holds up the original cut, people find it funny. And of course, movies like Scary Movie have like spoofed it and everybody does a spoof of like someone puking up soup. I still find this movie freaking terrifying. Tell yeah. me you can watch this movie at 11 p.m. in the dark by yourself and you're not effing scared because you've got the religion aspect, you've got desecration in the church, you have a what you later later find out is Pazuzu, which is this actual demon that comes from the Middle East. And it's this the movie starts with the exorcist like in the Middle East doing this dig. And then you find out he has this connection to the demon. These are things that as a Catholic, I believe in to some extent. I believe that people have been exercised and have had demons. Mm -hmm. Again, they talk about in the movie about schizophrenia and all these like advances in science and things we can explain away now. But there's also these other things that sometimes happen where there is like no logical explanation for it. And if they have the exorcism right and people are using it in certain instances, I have to believe there's something there to something. Like that's just my personal opinion. I I um I remember seeing that scene where they go down where she goes on the stairs with the spider walk and yeah there were people laughing in the, in the theater but I was scared shitless <laughs> I I that sent shivers down because for the most part uh, the movie was kind of I, I had seen it already it was a little tame for me right but then when it did that when it when the spider walk I was like oh this is so creepy like and and I'm like why are you guys laughing like like I, the other thing too is it's like uh, people don't want to give into the to that fear, right? So the 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 best thing you can do is to kind of make light of it, right? Make fun of it, make it non-threatening. Uh, that's just the way some people deal with it, right? Unfortunately, um, it's not the it doesn't make always for the best like movie going experience, right? Uh, the only the only time you you want that kind of participation or that kind of interference with watching a movie is when you're watching a movie that's truly bad you know and then someone kind of harping at the screen is is kind of welcomed but yeah i agree i hate it i hate it when people do that kind of stuff they laugh on well, purpose and i've also enjoyed though like when you see a movie not necessarily a comedy because everybody laughs at comedies especially dumb comedies that go mm -hmm. to see anything in a theater but when there's like a witty line and someone near me in a theater which i haven't been in a theater now and god knows how long obviously but um when someone laughs near me at the same joke I laughed at, when it's like a subtle joke and maybe not everybody in the audience laughs, I'm always like, who's that person? Do you want to be friends? Who are you? <laughs> You're obviously smart. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's fun. And then again, if you watch The Exorcist Home Alone at night or with one other person or even a group that likes the movie, it's very different than, again, people that probably were seeing it for the first time and they're just making fun of it or they're drunk or they're like, whatever. Yeah. And I went there with my super into this movie horror fan friends and we were pissed. We were like, we will find them and we will burn them. Well, what's your opinion on like the, the, uh, like how the religion plays into everything? Well, there was a time where I was very kind of religious. Um, so, but now that part of it kind of, kind of doesn't, I, I, it, it doesn't mean as much to me anymore, but there is a thing uh, where if, 
there is a part of me that says, well, to a certain ex extent, whether this is actually demonic or not, it's some kind of therapy, right? So this person believes that they're being possessed by a demon. Let's say, let's just say that they believe, right? Let's go down this path and say that it's not supernatural. Because I mean, obviously it is. This movie is about a supernatural well, entity. But also, and again, but the power of suggestion really does have a massive power, especially with the child. Yes, yes. So you can say, oh, well, this person showed up, did a ritual, did a song and dance. And, and because everyone in the room believes uh, what they're doing is, is, is real, then it works, you know? So uh, whether the kid is cured or not uh, from, you know, from some kind of psychosis or whether, you know, the, the, there was an, a demon expelled, who cares? The kid is good again, right? Like, you know, or you save somebody like that's, uh, who cares how, how it works. Right. But, but yeah. I, I, it's one of those movies where, again, I watched it again and again. And I think some of the power of the movie is certainly the uh, score. You've got that creepy high pitched score. Um, the religion part of it. I'm not religious at this point in my life anymore, but it still brings in that whole aspect of, wow, we can't figure this out. So we have to bring in the priest. We have to resort to the Catholic church at this point. Like this is messed up. Yeah. Um, but of course I agree that anytime something strange is going on, I want science to come first. And of course, Chris does that in the movie. She takes her to all these hospitals. She gets the spinal taps. She's, Ooh. you know, and nothing is working. Mm -hmm. And ultimately this was based on a true story of a boy. Am I frozen? No, yeah, you were frozen there. I lost you right at the point where you said that this was based on a real on a real story that it was a kid that was a boy, not a girl. Uh, sorry about that. Every time they use the the microwave downstairs, it it screws with the Wi-Fi. It's the ghost. No, it's the <laughs> microwave. <laughs> yeah. You might want to check your microwave. There's a there's a urban legend about a dog in a microwave or something. I can't remember the story. Are you serious? Um, oh, it's in that movie. Did you ever see that movie, Urban Legend? I do. I did, but I don't remember any of it anymore. It wasn't very good, but it does like all the different stories, like from the flashing your lights, the gang sign thing, mm -hmm. to someone following you, do it and killing you, to like the guy with the hook, and then they do this one about which has never been like a major story, but it is a legend. Someone like finds their dog in the microwave and it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully that's not what's going on downstairs at your house right now. No, we don't have a dog, so there's no dog in the microwave. <laughs> yeah, but you never know. The dog could have been like gotten in the house. It could be a raccoon. Who knows? Yeah, it could be a coyote or something. But yeah, no, like, so tell me, tell me the, the, the thing about the, the boy. It's a real story. Yeah, so um, I'm going to actually have to um, jump off, look up. Oh. No, 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 no. I'm still on. Um, I'm looking up what that, where it was. Um, so, oh, it was St. Louis. So basically a pastor of a church there um, decided to do the exorcism on this boy who was 14 years old. And uh, they had to take turns praying over him to cast out the demon. And then they performed a real life exorcism. This happened, I believe, mm, don't quote me. I think it's 1949. Okay. So obviously 1973 is when the exorcist came out. 
But it was similar in the fact that they had tried everything possible from science aspect. Of course, it's 1949. Um, and we still don't know a lot about the brain even today. Um, but back then they did everything they could and ultimately could not treat this boy. And that's when they decided to perform the exorcism, which as they mentioned in the film, is something that's in the back pocket of Catholics, which still exists like this. There is documentation of it um, in a lot of old Bibles and old books, but um, not Bibles, sorry, um, Catholic, just Catholic paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. um, so it's real. It's just not, um, of course, the aspects of the story were all other, other aspects were created for the film. But I mean, again, this is something that's been done, whether or not you agree that a person's possessed exorcisms have happened yeah. so that aspect of it is real and you have to think about the damage that does to a person just the experience of it um what if someone really was having a mental illness issue and they were exercised like it's kind of a crazy notion it's not something i would want done on myself but if i start you know doing strange things with um religious objects and i start spewing green stuff yeah. and I don't know, my head's spinning around. Maybe, maybe we need to look at the exorcism. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we give exorcism a try. Why not? I mean, at that point, I mean, your head's spinning around, might as well. <laughs> you know, but yeah, like, uh, I, I, there's already, there's already a, a movie called The Exorcism of Emily Rose, but we can do the exorcism of this Emily anytime we need to. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, um, Fine. no, man, that's just, uh, that, that movie's, that movie's so good. It's it's, it, and it's crazy to know that the church actually has still kind of has that. They probably still do it, right? They probably still do exorcisms. I mean, I'm I'm sure they're, they're like now. Yeah, I want to go look this up. Yeah, I want to go look this up now. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, like, and again, anytime there's something rooted, like if there's something rooted in truth in any way, shape or form, it makes it more interesting to me, even if it was just inspired by a story or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But when you think about these things that are, again, they're, it was going on. It's very possibly still going on in some places. Like you've seen the movies, like th these things are happening and people are still resorting to this kind of stuff, whether we want to believe it or not. Um, but in terms of the movie as a whole, I think it just, again, for me personally, it stands up as a spooky movie, as a movie that um, is rooted in some truth, at least in some portion. And some of the shots in it are really cool too. Like when um, the one priest is putting out the flowers in the church and he sees that the um, Mary statue in the church has been um, basically Lots of, I won't describe what it's been done to it, but it's uh, pretty offensive. Things are done to this statue mm -hmm. and just the way he reacts to it. So you see him, the shot is basically, it's in the corner of the room and you can't really see up close. He's walking through, they're following him as he's placing flowers and he just turns and you see his reaction and he's shaking by seeing it. And then they zoom in on it. And um, it it's just disturbing. I think there's a lot of shots in the movie that are disturbing. You, you know, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I don't consider myself religious anymore. But if I were to see something like that, like in real life, I I would, I would, it would, it would bother me a lot. It would bother me a lot because I know that it's a symbol of, of mm -hmm. you know, of of 
you know, like a, a well, the mother of God, it's the, the mother of God. God. It's a deity, yeah. right? Like you're supposed to respect it. And, you know, and, and although I probably don't believe it in anymore, I, I was raised to believe and to at the very least respect that. And I, it would, and again, even if it's not otherworldly thing, that's done it, even if it's like just somebody, you know, desecrating a church and, you know, tagging something or ruining it or making it extremely sexual and offensive, that part alone, I agree, is just, it's disappointing that anyone would think to do that because it just seems wrong. Yeah, general. it would really, really bother me. And, and yeah. at, this, at the same token, even though I don't can have the kind of same upbringing or value, I would never like desecrate like a, like a Muslim church, for example, or some other kind mm -hmm. of synagogue or something that I don't worship in, you know? It's it's about respect and respecting, you know, what this means to someone else, even if yeah. you can't relate to it. That's just like somebody tagging a Biden or Trump sign. Like, mm -hmm. do I see Trump signs? Yes. Do I want to kick them down? Yes. But I don't, <laughs> it's not my business. So, I mean, again, but with the church aspect, um, it's something people revere and hold dear and believe. And the idea that someone would desecrate something in that manner is just offensive in general. Not, not to talk too much on, on the uh, political part of that, but um, mm -hmm. there's there's these hilarious videos going out of people stealing Trump signs and, and people booby trapping them. And I'm like, why do we care so much about a stupid sign? Like, first of all, why are you stealing it? And second, why are you booby trapping these things? You're making it dangerous. <laughs> you know, like... Well and again, not to focus on politics too much, but I do have a family friend who has Biden signs up and they've all been um, destroyed by someone. So, and she lives on the Northwest side of the city where there's, unfortunately where I live, there are a lot of Trump supporters over this way. And um, I have not seen one sign, Trump sign ruined, but I've seen Biden ones that have been ruined. And that makes me almost like, you know, Again, it just makes me offended that people would take the time and energy to do that at all. Like, just leave it alone. You don't have to believe in something. Uh -huh. You can just ignore it and go on with your life like an adult. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, just leave it alone. It's like, yeah, so it offends you. Just don't, no, no, re no reason to run over there and possibly lose a limb over a stupid sign. Well, yeah, whether it's booby trapped or trapped or just as simple as like, you could get in trouble because mm -hmm. you did it. Mm -hmm. catch you like is it worth the risk it's just silly at that yeah. point it's like teenage antics you know yeah no and these are grown people there's like yeah. a, there's a video of a grown woman running around and she oh no i know she yanks it up off the, the ground and tries to run and she like flips upside down and falls on her face i was just like oh my goodness who's filming these tom and jerry cartoons again, this is speaking to the intelligence of the people that are doing it because yeah. i guarantee that and that's what I mean by teenage antics and not that they're teenagers, just that it's dumb and immature, but also <laughs> you have to question, like, are these people even super like against Trump or for Biden? No, they just want to cause trouble and act out. And it's like, don't make that your life, man. Don't make yeah. that your life. Well, thankfully nobody's taking my Wu-Tang sign. So no, probably because they have to look it up to figure out who they're, who you're voting for. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you that I tell you that someone came up to me and they're like, who is this Wu Tang? Um, yes. Yeah, he's he's is he a is he a Democrat or who is he running with? Or I'm like, oh, dude. Uh, it's so awkward. 
like anytime you have a sign like that or you wear a t-shirt or a hat that's like an inside joke and someone asks you a serious question about it you're like oh lord now i have to explain this not only do i have to explain it but i have to keep a straight face and not hurt the guy's feeling because he's he's my oh, neighbor yeah exactly you know he's my neighbor <laughs> yeah i don't want i want to be but i'm not going to be right it was just like oh i yeah. want to make fun of him so bad but i'm going to be nice and i'm going to explain that wu-tang is is a, is a dude music. edgar we're the same i've done this so many times in my life where i'm like i'm not gonna like make fun of someone i'm going to explain it to them but inside i'm like why don't you know what this is yeah <laughs> Yeah, no. But I'm never going to be that person to be like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. Instead, I'm more yeah. like, let me educate this person and hope yeah. that I don't break out laughing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and won't hurt his feelings in the process of like, oh, yeah. dude. Because he's a nice guy. You know, he's a real nice guy. But it's just like, oh, dude, you don't know. Yeah, but your response was nice too. So yeah. you're okay. Yeah, he broke my heart. I'm like, oh, dude, you don't know who Wu Tang is? Oh, man. <laughs> Let me let me let me show you a little something about music, but um, anyway, uh, so let's go to your number one. Are, um, are we done um, with uh, the Exorcist at this yeah. point? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could go on about all these movies forever, but then you'd be sitting here for nine hours. So. Well, I told you the other podcast lasted three hours. I was like, oh, dude, we got to get off. <laughs> we got to get off this I podcast. Easily an hour on each movie if you really want to get into all the intricacies of it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I and I love all these movies, and I love your number one. Number one, it's it's actually uh, one that I studied in film school because you know that's what film nerds do. They, you know, but uh, uh, 1960 Psycho, directed by uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Everybody knows this movie. It's been remade, I believe, mm -hmm. shot by shot too. Yes. Which is like why, but still. You know who played the main character in that? No, I don't know. Vince Vaughn played Norman Bates. No, Edgar, Edgar, because a lot of people don't know this. Before Vince Vaughn became a dick and a Republican and all these other things, um, <laughs> you weren't going to talk politics, but whatever. Yeah, um, here you go. <laughs> He's from Lake Forest, Illinois, and yes. I was a big fan of this because he did a handful of movies early on that were all dramas and all serious. And then all of a sudden, Wedding Crashers, and then it was all comedies from there on out. But he did a bunch of serious movies and indie movies, and other than Swingers, of course, that's uh, you know out of that um, situation, but that's a different genre. But he did all these serious movies in the 90s. And then he also was Norman Bates in this um, remake. And Anne Heche played um, the woman in the shower. So yeah, it was garbage. It was garbage. Oh, and that's how can why you... touch a classic? Why touch a classic? Like why even that's like thinking back to like uh, Kubrick movies, like Clockwork mm -hmm. Orange. Why would you remake a movie like this? Like people need to stay away from certain movies and it should be a rule. It should be a law. <laughs> I, I had a, I actually had a film teacher who used to say, don't touch, don't remake a good movie. Remake yep. a bad movie. Take a oh. really bad movie and remake that. Give that a shot. Try, try to fix it. You know, like, oh, I like that idea. Like that makes me want to go back and look for bad movies and remake them. Like if, you know, if, if I was we there. Do. We should do this. We yeah. should do this. And honestly, I was just thinking back to Candyman. Like, I trust Jordan Peele with that movie because 
to be fair, Candyman is scary, but I don't think it's the best made movie in any no. way, shape, or form. Um, I think Jordan Peele will do much more interesting things with it. But yeah, I mean, why why not take a movie that could be expanded upon and made better and more interesting mm. and more layers than to touch a movie that's like untouchable, in my opinion. Like Psycho, Jaws, do not remake these movies. Like do yeah. not touch territory. And you're looking, okay, Hitchcock, Spielberg. How are you going to improve on that? Please tell me. Please yeah. tell me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think if you think you can pull it off, you, you think a little much of yourself, right? I mean, oh, yeah. like, uh, I, and, and- You have a Trump sign on your lawn. <laughs> but I just think, I think like, for example, it's a weird thing to do with the cycle movie to take a, a, a masterpiece and then copy it frame by frame. I, I was just like, is it like a like a student film project? Like, what are you doing? It's so weird. You know, like it, you know, at least give it your own spin, but you you basically copied the test on your, uh, you know, while you were taking the exam, like you copied somebody else's paper. It's just so and weird. And not just that, but you weren't as talented. So you're basically shooting, it's like writing a, rewriting a book, but you're not as good a writer. Um, you're not as good a storyteller. Mm-hmm. and you don't have you're not equipped to do so and you're not originating anything so yeah. why bother why yeah. bother why bother yeah at, at that point yeah so like i would be interested maybe we should have that conversation we should have maybe we should do a list of bad movies we want to remake <laughs> oh man that list would be long although to be fair like i've said before because i am such an amazing human being um i i I avoid bad movies like The Plague and I uh-huh. typically know the movie's going to be crap. I have very, the movies that I've seen that have been bad in my life have become been because I really loved the person who wanted to see it. Uh. Because I personally would never waste my time. And I've even told people in my life, like, I'm not going to go see that with you if that's what you guys are seeing. And I just don't go because I trust my judgment when it comes to trailers uh-huh. and not even reviews. Like these days, everyone can read Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. But back before Rotten Tomatoes, I just could get a good sense from the cast and the preview. And I'm like, nope, next. Oh, yeah. and then I'd see one, the next preview and I'd go, that shit's going to win an Oscar. Shit wins an Oscar. Yeah. So I'm a pretty good judge. But so I haven't seen a lot of terrible movies, but the ones I have watched are usually because you just want to laugh at it and go, this is garbage. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's really, that's really kind of sweet that you would take a bullet like that for the person you like, or, you know, you're going out with at the time. It's only been a few times, Edgar. It's only been a few times. And it wasn't by any means a, the worst movie ever, but I went to see Pineapple Express. That's a, a good movie. That's a decent movie. Thing. Here's the thing. If you don't smoke weed, that movie's dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're not a fan, I'm not a big fan of Seth Rogen or James Franco when it comes to acting. So no, doesn't do it for me. Did you? So I took a bullet. I took a bullet for that movie. Did you see? Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's not. Oh, oh I got another one. Was that? Freddie got injured with Tom Ooh. Green. That is, that is worst garbage. And here's, you know, what's funny about that one too. I went to see it technically with a boyfriend and then another guy and his girlfriend. And she and I are sitting there the whole time. We must've left four times just to like go into the hallway and get more pop or popcorn. 
they're laughing hysterically at the most ridiculous dumb crap ever and then there's one scene and i still remember it to this day where a helicopter is landing and someone character is in a wheelchair and the wheelchair just kind of blows back a few feet because of the power of the uh um the helicopter mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be funny me and the girl we were cracking up and <laughs> nothing to do with like the comedy aspect like it was not meant to be even somewhat humorous mm -hmm. and the guys are looking at us like why are you laughing and we're like it's the only funny part of the inside <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the previews for that movie it was like daddy do you want some sausages yes daddy, do you want some sausages? and we thought for some reason because tom green was who he was at the time that yeah. it might be okay yeah it, it's it's not awful it's god awful. It, it, it i remember seeing that movie and I, I made myself sit through it because I, I don't know, like you, there's a point where you watch a movie and you're like, God damn it. Now I got to finish this. Like you mm -hmm. can't, you, but I don't remember there being a plot really to that movie. There was, I, I he's actually the, the character, the main character in that movie of oh, Freddie, I guess is an animator. So I was like, oh, I, I don't even remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, I do because I was like, damn it, I, I kind of relate to him a little bit. But the, you know, the, but there was so much weird stuff. It, by the end of the movie, I had a headache. I had a, a giant headache. And I'm like, oh, I'm never, God, yeah. yeah, I was oh, just like, God. I couldn't, I couldn't. I was just like, oh, this movie's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's not even, oh, you huh? have a bit of a headache. Even watching his show, you kind of get a bit of a headache. I, I didn't know who he was. I knew the movie was supposed to be hilarious. Someone told me it was hilarious. I rented it. I and I and I was like, ah. I think because of what age I was when that came out, which was like 18, 19, and you're a few years older than me. I think that I watched Tom Green at least a little bit at that point, or mm -hmm. my boyfriend did. So I think that's why I was like, oh, okay, we'll see this. Cause his show wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but the comedy was for a certain audience of a certain age, certainly. Yeah. Like, no. Oh wait, we were talking about Psycho, and we started talking about other psychos. But yeah, somehow we veered off off topic there. But yeah, Psycho. So um, if I remember correctly, originally the the lead actor was some kind of like heartthrob, right? And so there was a concern of him actually being this psycho. I don't know that I would say heartthrob. Um... Anthony Perkins is an interesting person. He, um, I think he was bisexual. Um, oh, was he? He had, he had relationships with men, but then I looked him up and saw that he was married to a woman at the end of his life, but I am positive he had relationships with men. I think that it was more that he'd always played likable characters and for him to be the bad guy in a movie was like unheard of. Mm -hmm. Plus, he's like this very pretty, thin, delicate man, and you don't suspect, like, maybe these days you see a weird skinny dude and you do suspect him, but back then, he looked like an innocent, right? He wasn't buff and scary and big, and the idea that this guy who was too shy to even talk to the Janet Leigh character when she comes to the motel, the idea that he would be able to be capable of all these things, keeping his mother's corpse in his house and in a chair and moving it to the bed and moving it around the house. Um, also based on a true story, by the way. Oh, no way. Shit. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> gotta look it up. Um, but yeah, it, it's um, a lot of the horror movie characters are in some way based on real life serial killers too. Ed Gein, there's a couple of movies that 
characters were like inspired by him and things like that. But yeah, Anthony Perkins was known for being a more like likable actor and never in this type of role, which also worth pointing out, this movie was, Scream tried to replicate this in their poor, less uh, successful way because it's a fine movie, but it's not a great movie. Um, Janet Lee is all over the posters for this movie. She's all over the ads for the movie. People think she's in the entire movie. Well, as you know, she's not. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Scream tried to do that with Drew Barrymore. It was like, Drew Barrymore is the star of this movie. And then she dies in the first scene. Yeah. Uh, cool scene. And of course, obviously, Psycho scene, iconic in so many different ways. Um, that's something I'd like to hear about you from in terms of the shots in the shower scene. So like one of the things that, um, that I mean, obviously it's known for the shower scene, right? But uh, one of the things that was supposed to be kind of like a twist in the movie is it that I guess it's got what, I forgot what the phrase is, but it's like the unreliable uh, Artur or it's got like a double protagonist. So, cause like you think, you think the story is actually about the woman, right? Mm -hmm. But then midway through, it kind of switches over to, you know, the killer, right? The psycho. And um, I, I remember thinking, holy cow, that's an interesting way to like tell a story because um, the village does the same thing. Although yeah. a vastly inferior movie, but, but, but it also does the same thing where it's just like, you're thinking, and, and it's also a female. You're, you're following this female character through this movie you know she's kind of like a shady character on top of that right but she is not and she's quitting her job but not quitting her job <laughs> yeah and so yeah and so she's not she's not the person she's not the person that, that the story is actually about or that we kind of follow through the movie but yeah like fooling your brain so you're just like any story we've talked about already like caring about the characters you're investing this like emotion emotions in her character you you're investing your energy in where her storyline is going because it starts in new york and or not new york it's phoenix and you've got the cityscape and her job and her life so you're thinking that this is all going to come from her point of view especially since the movie's been touted as this is a uh, her vehicle this is all about this actress and then they switch it up and they fool you and then the narrative totally switches and all of a sudden it's coming from perkins character norman bates so it's it's fooling the audience on a couple of different levels um and also because you see things from norman's point of view after he commits the crime so you're seeing him doing the cleanup and all these things but at that time you don't know he's the one obviously you don't know he's the murderer you you think he's covering up for his mother mm -hmm. that he's claiming is in the house and that she's a little wackadoodle and she's the person who's committing these crimes it's not till later we realize, oh, Norman is the crazy one. Got it. Yeah. Also, like Hitchcock was infamous for uh, storyboarding everything. Mm -hmm. and, and it made it very difficult for people to move around in, their, in, the, in the frame because he would, he would draw everything. And then it was almost like he didn't have to be there sometimes because it was like the, he, every scene, every piece of dialogue was already kind of storyboarded and and people would try to kind of like ad lib or try to kind of move out of frame or move around and he was like no 
he was he was very well known for being kind of like a dictator uh, on the set. And it was some people complained about him. And I know that uh, oh, oh, not just complained, like complained of abuse, especially um, Tippy Hedren and the birds. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. It, the relationship between them was sour and he treated her like this Barbie doll who wasn't a human again with the whole storyboarding and but then the birds actually attacking her. There were real birds in those scenes and she oh. was getting injured. Are you yeah. serious? If you read more about Hitchcock, as much as I respect him and love him as a director, he was a dick and he treated women like playthings. Oh. And his actresses were just dolls for his scenes and he didn't really care about their safety. These days you see directors work with the same actors and they have these close personal relationships. Although Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman, there was a little bit of problems there too. So hmm. a lot of these directors want things to be so perfect that they don't care about the safety of the human beings because they're looking at through the sphere of like their vision. Huh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that with about the birds. I also mm -hmm. didn't I also didn't realize that Quentin Tarantino had a problem with Uma Thurman. More recently in the last couple of years, she uh she came out and talked about Kill Bill and how she almost died in one of the car scenes and how he was pushing her and pushing her and pushing her and he just wasn't listening to her. And then she almost got very severely injured. And um yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you need to care about what your vision is and what a film looks like, but not at the expense of your actors that are human beings. Yeah. Man, that's too bad because I always wanted to see another Kill Bill, but oh, I mean, again, that's not. Um, well, the truth, the truth of the matter is, it's like when you learn more about anybody that you admire, and it's not nice. It's always disappointing. Like if mm -hmm. I finally, if I found out Steven Spielberg was a bad guy, I would go in my room and cry for a week. But mm -hmm. um, just because I love so many of his movies, like from Jaws to like E.T. and everything, yeah. but but. Um, just like all these actors that have come out in recent years and been exposed for different things. Of course, you're disappointed when it's someone you admired or whose films you like, and you don't always want to go back and rewatch them. Like Kevin Spacey. I don't want to rewatch his movies. I'm good. Um, yeah, that's too bad with it, Kevin Spacey. It's not fair to us because we're in it for the art. We're not in it for your personal life. Right. Yeah. Well, there's that producer too. What's, what's his name? The, the really gross one. Um, Weinstein? Weinstein. I kept wanting to call him Weidman. Oh, Weist God. That, guy, that guy legit has raped people. He's on different level territory. Yeah, but he's also produced a lot of like fucking Quentin Tarantino's movies. He's produced like numerous Oscar movies, like big, big films like Shakespeare and Love, like yeah. Company, and Man Made Bank. But at the, you know, again, at the peril of these people and you, you have to think a bit about that because someone like Janet Leigh, when she uh, filmed the psycho shower scene, I do know that um, Hitchcock was present for that scene because there are pictures of them doing that scene together and him directing her. Um, but it was such a small, I mean, she has the whole introductory section, but it was a smaller role in the film as a whole, obviously. She does not make it through the span of the film. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember ever hearing anything terrible from her end. But actors that worked closer, like Tippi Hedren was in the entirety of The Birds, actors that worked closer with Hitchcock um, that were female just did not have good experiences. And unfortunately, the more you educate yourself and learn about these things, you find out stuff you don't want to know. But I think it goes without saying that a lot of these artists are strange people, it, you know? Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock, like 
is strange. Like he portrayed himself as strange too. So I wonder, I wonder how much of that that whole reputation in general. Um, And then you've got people like Kubrick and, you know, Clockwork Orange and Eyes Wide Shut and, um, you know, all these movies, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, yeah. The only way that people, I shouldn't say the only way, because I have a strange brain, but it's not that weird. And I'm not out treating people badly and doing crazy things. But I think a lot of times um, artists are strange and have weird habits and idiosyncrasies about them. So I think that um, to make good art, sometimes you have to be a little off kilter, Mm -hmm. so to speak. But at the same time, a lot of artists and writers take, you know, um, they get inspired by their own dreams. And plenty of people have created TV shows and works of art based on their dreams. And that's coming from your own brain. It might be influenced by outside things, but it's coming from you. But I think that there's a level of knowing when you can control something and when you don't. So if you have a great idea, make a film, but don't torture your lead actress in the process of making it. <laughs> yeah, it's- Common sense, you think. Yeah, oh man, that's- that makes me really sad. Oh, it should not make you. It should not make you dislike Hitchcock because we don't know these people. We don't know what really went down. But yeah, um, these like if I hear from someone these days who says, you know, Kevin Spacey did this to me last week. Here's my proof. I'm gonna believe them. But we're looking back to the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Like who knows? But yeah. I always try to take certain pieces of art for face value and. While I find, again, Hitchcock's, like I was actually at Universal Studios is another place where I saw the Bates Motel in the house. That was probably my favorite part of being there as a kid is we couldn't walk near it. Mm -hmm. It was like the motel at the front and then the back is where the house was. I wanted so bad to jump over that fence and go into that house, which was probably just a big empty whatever. (laughs) But my mom was like, yeah, you can't jump over that fence. Um, But I think sometimes you have to take the art for its face value and what it means to you. And um, you have to separate it from the people who made it because otherwise, you know, you're going to be disappointed at some point in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like, I haven't seen um, the hateful eight yet, for example. Mm. And, Mm. and uh, I, I threw it on once and the credits were rolling the opening credits and you see, you see Weinstein's name. And my wife's like, Weinstein? We're not watching this movie. And I'm like, oh. And, and that's when it dawned on me. I was like. She just shut it down and you guys turned it off? Well, no, we switched to something else. I can't remember yeah. what we watched. But it's just like, oh, come on. Like, it's, it's, it's Tarantino. And she's like, no, it's, you know, Weinstein produced this movie. And I'm like, oh. And I remember it, it just like, it. Like how much, how much of that are we going to have to do? You know, like before. Edgar, we, we, Edgar, I don't want to disappoint you, but it's not white. Django Unchanged, Goodwill Hunting, The King's Speech, Inglorious Bastards, Lord of the Rings, Kill Bill, <sighs> Chicago. Weinstein has been involved in some of the biggest movies ever. And these are only just a handful. The man has been involved in like a hundred movies that are like notable and like known names, known titles. It's, it's, it's hard because I did watch something recently and when his name popped up, I went, I'm not going to watch this. But then there was another time it popped up and I went, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to watch. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, I've also been very close to the news about him. 
and I know specifically what actresses worked on what projects where they were harassed and I would never watch those movies again just knowing that alone mm -hmm. um of course he's done a lot of movies with men where he hasn't had the opportunity to do anything to anybody um my week with Marilyn she's all that she's all that she's all that Cold Mountain, aviator scary movie he was involved in those too and they're Dude. like it's all over the place it's like it's not just the good movies it's also like really shitty movies too he was i mean anything that had like a, a big star in it he was usually involved in some way it was mostly like um dramas um but definitely run the you know run across all genres at some point like he definitely had a hand in a lot of different things he was he was a super um, disgusting dude too like there was like some kind of clause in the in the contract about like if he like came on the people like you couldn't sue them or something that he got like three strikes or something stupid to like make passes at people i'm like and you do know like um i know ben affleck um spoke about him a bit because um miramax is the company weinstein's one company mm -hmm. um and miramax's name is on a bajillion movies and yeah. it's also on all of uh, kevin smith's movies i think all those early ones yes um so they've all spoken out about that in some ways. The truth is the guys that knew something bad was going on, they spoke up about it. Some of them did. And the people that didn't are the people that either didn't see it or just didn't admit to it. And my whole thing is if I saw something, I don't care about my career. I would say something like, I don't think that's right in any way, shape or form. I don't care if you're male or female, mm -hmm. you should be speaking up for other people. Even if it's something just slight, even if it wasn't dramatic, um, if I saw someone touch someone the wrong way or someone seems like uncomfortable around someone, I would ask them. Like, mm -hmm. I just think that people should be better people, period. You, you, you know? know, you know who I super respect for doing just that was is Brad Pitt. Apparently, like yeah. he was he was dating Gwyneth Paltrow, and this guy got all slimy on Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow went home to Brad Pitt, told Brad Pitt, and then this dude went down a wine scene. He said he's if you ever touch her again. I'll fucking kill you. And I was just like, damn. Like that dude. That well, not only that, but he is like a man. You know what I'm saying? Like he's the alpha male. He went down there, told dude what's up, and he doesn't give a fuck. Like I well, have I have so I much respect for that dude when oh, I heard no, that. me too. And I've never been like a super obsessive Brad Pitt fan by any means, but when I heard that story, I felt the same way. And I can tell you that like someone like uh so like Gwyneth Paltrow did Shakespeare in Love for sure and the movie Emma with Miramax I know um Emma I've watched dozens of times and that's got Weinstein's name on it but Ben Affleck is not an alpha male he's one of those guys that kind of said I don't know maybe I heard or saw something and uh, Brad Pitt was the one who heard it and said I don't think it mattered that it was his girlfriend or at the time I think Gwyneth was his fiance he could have been like any woman on the set, and I think Brad would have been like, if he heard someone tell him that, he would have stood up for them and been like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? Um, ben Affleck strikes me as like, not as manly. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I mean. Because they were both dating Gwyneth, and they both worked on, uh, I don't know that Brad worked on any Weinstein films. I don't think he did. But Gwyneth did, and Ben did. And oh. Ben was also with Gwyneth at one point. So I'm like. You know, like you need to stand up for the people around you. That's just yeah. the thing to do. I don't, 
I, I can't, you see, it takes a lot of courage though, too. You got to understand like, yeah, it, this, this, you know, Ben Affleck could have said something, right. But that endangers his career. He doesn't know what, what's going to happen. He could be, he can end up as a barista because this man has so much power. A uh, person well, like that. But- to be fair, Brad Pitt was already a very established, successful actor. Ben was too at that point. Um, yeah. But even if he wasn't or was less so, um, People do have the fear of being like blacklisted in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not, I I don't, I don't want to give Ben Affleck a get out of jail free card. You know, like I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just understanding why he probably turned, turned, you know, the other way. I'm just saying that's just how much more man, you know, Brad Pitt is, you know, this is like, I'm not diminishing Ben Affleck. He's just a normal guy. Ben, um, you know, Brad Pitt, that, that dude, that dude is a hero, you know, like good on him. Like, wow. To take, to, to not even give a shit, but to like talk shit to that guy and tell him to keep his hands off his woman, you know, like good for him. But, although uh, Brad Pitt's a very um, powerful person in Hollywood, so was Weinstein. So the fact that he did that, he could have burned bridges there too, but he didn't give a shit. He was he just, you know. Yeah. Well, I like how we went from uh, my number one whore pick, Psycho, to the horror of Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> I don't even know how we got there. How do we, how do we? I never know how I get anywhere. Sometimes I circle back very well, but other times it turns into a little bit of a tangent. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I love Psycho. I love all Alfred Hitchcock, Rear Window. You know, I think the only one I haven't seen is North by Northwest. I think it's the only one. I oh my seen. God. North by Northwest has some of the coolest shots yeah. ever. Yes. Oh, and so many cool scenes. I saw that as a young kid too. Cause again, mm-hmm. my mom showed me all of Hitchcock's stuff when I was young mm-hmm. and that's a lesson in filmmaking. I mean, yeah. again, no matter what you think about the person who made it, um, he innovated, he originated. And the fact that people down the line want to, you know, attempt to remake something you make speaks for itself in volumes, especially yeah. since the remake of Psycho came out, I think in 98, something like that. Like, let it lie. If it's been alone, left alone for this long, it needs to be left alone. Yeah, you, you just, you know, just learn from it. You don't have to, like, try to, like, redo it. You're not going to do a better job. And if you do, you could have done another movie. You could have done your own story. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, I think you and I both, like, appreciate film enough where we recognize the new talented people, like people like Jordan Peele and stuff like that. Yeah. Because... I mean, at this point, anyone who has a scene that's reminiscent of something from Hitchcock, no one, unless they're really blind to the film history of the world, is going to watch it and go, oh my God, what a cool shot. Every smart person is going to go, that's a Hitchcock shot right there. That's, you know, because there's yeah. literally terms for these different types of shots. Yeah. Um, or you would just know off the bat, like, oh, that was inspired by something that's already been done. It's the yeah. people that are innovating that I respect the most. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with paying, you know, an homage to, you know, to someone like Hitchcock, but to, yeah. to just downright steal, it's kind of, you know. And then make money off it. Like, I mean, how, well, I, how embarrassing that you couldn't come up with something original of your own. Yeah. It's really, it's really kind of, it's kind of like what Hollywood does, right? I mean, you know, they, they, they borrow from books, from comic books, from all kinds of stories, you know, they, they, they're very afraid to kind of take a, a risk on a new property and, and try to kind of make, see what happens with that. They, they usually try to bank on something that's already kind of established mm-hmm. in its own right. 
whether it's a, yeah, a sequel to a very successful franchise or my mom and I have talked about musicals because we love going to musicals, but do we need to do Cinderella on Broadway again? Like that's mm -hmm. why people like um, one, um, one, why did I just say one? Um, Miguel Miranda, yeah. uh, Lynn, um, stuff like In the Heights and Hamilton he had these new shows like that came out and are about things that matter to people either from the past, which is Hamilton mm -hmm. and reinvented in a new way or in the Heights, which is about people in New York and this Puerto Rican neighborhood. And it's stories that are new and different. Like how many times do we need to recycle the same crap? How many different ways can you do this show that was popular in 1930? Yeah. Like we need more new stuff and new directors and new ideas. And while everyone loves a good throwback, if you can't improve on it, don't bother doing it. Yeah, yeah, and it, and you're taking a real risk because then you're you're going to be compared to the original. You better you better be good. You better be much better than the original. And not to not to elongate this, but just think about the last few movies, like when they did the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which mm -hmm. was more kind of centric to the whole child abuse aspect of it, mm -hmm. or the new Halloween. They've made like two of them at least now, like actual Halloween, not sequels. And I'm like, leave it alone. None of these are even good. It's just garbage. And I can't, I want my money back. The fact that I paid $2.99 streaming to watch one of these things. I'm like, I could have had a couple, you know, chicken McNuggets. for <laughs> It would have been more satisfying than this movie. And it's really down to the fact that <laughs> more movies need to be made is all it is that mm -hmm. are new and different because I have been on my streaming services for the last maybe two weeks looking up scary, horror. I realized I've seen everything, everything else is garbage mm -hmm. and everything else is a sequel. And I'm like, yeah. there's nothing to watch in this genre. It's, it's tough, right? To, because yeah, you're, you're right. To, you've either seen it or you basically know what's gonna happen before you even press play, right? Because it's just a rehashing of whatever story. It's kind of hard, right? Because I mean, as you know, uh, you can dumb down pretty much every story down to kind of, you know, a handful of stories, right? There's the hero, there's there's the romance, there's all, all, there's, there's all these, basically what we call genres to, to a certain extent. So you can dumb down a story down to, to a handful of stories. If you know the basics of every story, now how can you make a new movie that's gonna be different than, than how you're gonna, the only thing you can do is surprise us with a play on the story, right? That's the only thing. And if you know what's gonna happen, just by looking at the goddamn poster, you know, or the, you know, the, the call out or whatever you wanna call on the screen, you're, not, it's gonna, you're gonna be disappointed. I mean, I'll be honest, like, uh, the one that surprised me uh, in terms of, and this is not recent, recent, but fairly recent is uh, is uh, Guillermo del Toro's like Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth and mm -hmm. uh, Mama, like which I Ooh, mentioned. Yes, Mama, Mama. Again, he is an innovator. He is someone I want to hear more from. I want to mm -hmm. see more of Pan's Labyrinth. I think I told you this before, or someone this before. Um, a lot of the 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 character with the hands over yes. the eyes, the eyeballs, that looks like something that came out of one of my nightmares and nobody sees my nightmares but me. Yeah. I feel like he kind of um, scared people through things that people found some sort of thing that was familiar to them in, in a weird way. And 
the jump scares and the this and the that. Like we're over it. We're we're smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I found interesting about Jaws. Like the jump scare scared me. Like genuinely scared me, but then like like inside me, I felt scared. I'm like, wow, I think this is how a jump scare is supposed to work. Like this is this is a real jump scare. Cause there's always that jump scare, like you mentioned before. So it's like, oh, you know a jump scare is coming. He's turning the corner. You know, there's a creepy monster back there someplace, someplace. I always know. I even, yeah. they even try to trick us where they'll like wait a beat and then yeah. they'll do it like a little later. I still know it's coming. I'm yeah. like, okay, get to it. Get to it. Let's, yeah. okay, let's do it. Okay. It's ridiculous because we're, and if you're a moviegoer who likes these kind of movies and you really do care about film, you know how like dumb it is. So it's like the fact that people keep paying to see all these things in the theater. I just don't understand it. It's like when Pan's Pan's Labyrinth, when I saw that and another example of storytelling on so many different levels, you've got the war, you've got the violence, you've got all these things, the, the daughter, the mother, this, you know, all these different like storylines going on. It's still, it's powerful because it's so, um, again, I hate to use this word over and over again, but it's so layered in the way the storytelling works, but then it's also terrifying and creepy and original. And that movie, um, The Shape of Water as well, one yes. which may not be everyone's cup of tea, but it was something different that you haven't seen before. Yeah. It's super bizarre, that one too. Oh yeah. yeah. But it's different. And if I can look at something and say, oh wow, someone's trying to tell a different story or someone's trying to tell a story from a completely new angle, which again, I think this new Candyman will be um, a lot more have a lot more depth to it in the characters. I, I just think that I'm tired of seeing all of the same tropes over and over again. And uh, I have a friend who works, uh, he makes horror films and produces them. He's directed a couple on the Shutter Network. I don't know if you've ever heard of this network. Yes, I've heard. Of yeah. Um, he made a couple of cool movies. They certainly, you know, they're not, they're B movies or B, B plus movies. Uh-huh. Um, but I went on that network and I was really looking for anything that was like super standout. And I just feel like I have to keep watching the classics again and again, because there really is, there's nothing great. And unless it's coming mm. out soon, I've not seen it yet. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned the witch to you. That's one you should check out. Yes. Yes. I, definitely I, a slow burn and definitely a quiet movie. It's, it's very quiet, but it's creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't bring up Blair Witch. Blair Witch is one which within the last, what, 22 years that I felt like was interesting and different when it came out too. I actually had Blair Witch on my list on the last podcast. It was, mm-hmm. it was, and, and the reason I, I had it on my list is because it was one of the first kind of found footage movies that I remember. Mm-hmm. And also um, because of that, it made it, it made it real because all, uh, when they released that movie, and I mentioned this in, in that other podcast, when they released that movie, they didn't let you know that yeah. the people were actors, that the whole thing, the whole, you were supposed, like you went in believing that everything that happened in the movie was real. And I, and I, I remember thinking, well, these people are dead, you know? And, and then you're like, I forget like three weeks later or something, somebody finally let us off the hook and you see the people in the movie at like Oprah or something, you know, it's just like, oh, no. You know what's funny about that, Edgar, though? I saw the movie in the theater the night mm. it came out, but uh-huh. I already had heard the whispers that it was not real, so uh-huh. I wasn't as scared. 
but my friends did not. So I didn't ruin it for them, uh-huh. but I knew that it wasn't real. So it still scared me. I still found it very scary. Uh-huh. And I remember going back to, I think I told you, we went in, back into the parking lot afterwards and it was raining and it was down by um, where Second City is. So uh-huh. it's this big, dark parking lot. It was late at night when we saw it, probably like 11 p.m. or midnight screening of it. And I remember being afraid to walk back to the car. And this is knowing <laughs> that it was not real, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, how many movies have they done with found footage since then where you're like, yep, it's been done next. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part. It kind of like started this whole genre and, and within the within the genre and it just like it killed it. And then uh, the only other movie, which is with another movie that that was on last week's list that I remember actually made an effect after that was Paranormal Activity. Um, I was going to bring that up too. And you know, what's funny about that one is that again, since I'm interested in paranormal stuff, I was afraid of it to an extent, but I had a friend who was in complete disbelief. And after we saw it, do you remember the scene where he puts the powder down on the floor to see if anything's walking in their room? Uh-huh. Yeah, I do remember So that. they end up finding footsteps the next morning and the girl's freaking out. Like you can see visible footprints, but they're not human footprints. They're very strange. And my friend, after we saw the movie, kept going, it was powder, it wasn't sugar, but she kept calling it the sweet and low monster. (laughs) He's like, oh no, the sweet and low monster's coming to get me. (laughs) We laughed so hard because after she said that, I was like, you're right. A lot of this movie was dumb as shit, but there was an aspect to it where if it was happening to me, And like when they find the photograph of the girl in the attic, it's their new house, but there's a picture of her when she was little burned in the attic. I'm like, that's messed up. If that happened to me, I'd be moving. But as you know, the thing was following her, not the house. So yeah. Yeah. And so many, so many movies and so many things that over time, again, there's always these trends, right? Like you said, Blair Witch, like brought on all these found footage movies and I think we just need more original stories and more talented directors and storytellers like yeah. Guillermo del Toro, who really brings so much more to the table than your generic, you know. Um, and again, I don't know that Jaws was the, I don't think Jaws is the first movie to do a jump scare, but they did it early and they did it well. Yeah. And it, it's just, you're right. It, like people need to allow these artists the opportunity to take risks. But I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, you're going to spend millions of dollars and then you may not get a return. You're in it to make money. You know, it's it's a tough spot, you know, but I understand. But that's why I'm glad that there's people behind people like um, Jordan Peele because um, he is talented and I feel like he needs to make more movies. And again, there are these smaller smaller filmmakers that are not getting the jobs because there's so many people above the rung in them in the industry, but look at the names of the people putting out these garbage movies and people keep paying them because people are seeing the movies because every Halloween, a movie is going to come out and it's going to be released in theaters. Mm. And whether you like the idea or not, you're going to go see it because it's around Halloween and it's the movie coming out on Halloween. And it's not because the movie's good. And it's not because you like the director. It's because mm. I want to see movie on halloween simple as that yeah and uh, you know speaking of which there's that movie freaky which i kind of want to watch i don't know if i want to risk my life for but it's the one with vince vaughn where he gets switched out oh 
the comedy yeah the the horror comedy it's actually i think in like november 1st or something like it's like that was the first time that i saw him in a preview and i don't know how long (laughs) yeah i know he has not been working for a long for a while but uh i know it did look like it could potentially be amusing um because of the you know again it's turning something on its head it's not the usual yeah and, and it's actually like a play because if you you know remember there's that uh uh that uh, Freaky Friday movie with uh, Jodie Foster. Is it Jodie Foster? Yeah, um, yeah Jodie Foster Curtis? in the original. Yeah. yeah. And then Lindsay Lohan was in a, a remake of it. In a with, remake, uh, James- which, mm-hmm. which we've seen both of, you know, here at this house. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's great because they take that movie and instead of calling it Freaky Friday, they call it Freaky. And, and you know, it's not the mom, it's some serial killer. It's, it, I like, I got every joke. I think it's hilarious. But I, um, I think, I just hope it's not one of those movies where every single funny part is in the preview. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Because there was a lot of funny that parts. That happens a lot. And then you're like, oh, the preview caught me, but the rest of the movie is complete garbage. Got yeah, but, yeah. But it is an example, again, yeah, of someone turning something on its head. And that's clever. And that's different. And it's a simple thing. It's not that complicated, but nobody's done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're running almost in three hours here, but Jesus. I wanted, but I wanted, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about that uh, scary forest behind your house. <laughs> oh boy! Okay, so um, we'll we'll end on that. The, yeah, and I'll tell this all on the top of my head because um, I do know the history of it enough where I don't need to look anything up. Not that I was looking things up during this podcast. Usually it's just me rambling on and on. Um, So I live on the Northwest side of of Chicago, which is at the very edge of Chicago. I'm surrounded by the suburbs of Park Ridge, Norridge, Schiller Park. Um, Oak Park is not right by me, but isn't far either. So it's the very edge of the edge of the city. Actually where I live used to not be part of Chicago. It was like an unincorporated Norwood Park is what they called it. Norwood Park is now a city neighborhood. Oh wow. Um, mm-hmm. But even when my mom lived here, um, so that's, you know, geez, 1975 until about 84 or five is which when we moved to our house. Um, it was a lot of fields around here, a lot of farmland. Um, there were ranch, like not ranches, but like little farms with like barns. There was a horseback riding place. Um, a lot of the areas. So my mom and I actually took a walk in the woods last weekend and she was pointing out buildings that were not there and that this was a field and this was nothing. Um, so a lot of strange activities happened behind my house in the woods. So the woods behind me are known as the Robinson Woods um, and the Catherine Chevalier Woods. Robinson Woods is Andrew Robinson's white name because they gave these strange names to Native Americans back then. His mm. actual Native American name was Chichi Pinqua, and his wife, who I believe was white, is Catherine Chevalier. So the woods are named for them, and they're buried in the woods. Oh boy! Um, yeah. So. In addition to that, there also was um, some murders that happened in the 19, late 1940s, 1950s. I think it was 49 or 50. Um, there were these little boys that got on a bus to go see a movie um, down in the city and they never came home and their bodies were found behind me in these woods. 
um, really terrible things like were done to them. And um, eventually in the nineties, they finally caught the killer who, which I think was through DNA. His name was Kenneth Hansen. And there's a lot of documentation on that. And it was in the news a handful of years ago um, talking about DNA and how far we've come. Um, so those boys were left unfortunately in the woods um, and their parents all unfortunately passed away before they could see the killer brought to justice. He lived to be an old man, which is not fair. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, that's the worst. It's like, wow. Um, but I do love seeing those shows where they catch someone with DNA and they always say, the police always say, I got to the door and the guy turned white as a sheet and said, the one guy said to the police, I forget what story this was, but he said, oh, I know why you're here. Like, how creepy is that? Wow. Like, I get the chills just thinking about that. Like, they didn't even have to take him to court. He was like, yep, I did it. Uh, you're here. I'm 75 years old. I committed this crime when I was 21 or whatever. Um, in addition, um, I live a block away from where the John Wayne Gacy house is. So oh, John Wayne Jesus. Gacy's serial killer. Um, he killed... 30 something, possibly more boys and buried them under his house. Um, the house has been replaced with a new house in the nineties, but it's on the same land. It has a different address, which really doesn't make any difference because you know exactly where it is on the block. Uh, it's for sale right now. If you're interested in buying the Gacy house. No, thank you. Um, I'm good. <laughs> I, I just think it's funny. And here's the funny part about this is that I actually did a walkthrough of this house because I'm weird and what? I pretend to Oh, I pretended like I wanted to buy it. Yeah, I'm that person. Hopefully they're not, hopefully they're not gonna ever listen to this podcast. Um, so I asked the guy directly, acting very naive and not like the person that I am who knows all the things about the neighborhood. And I said, um, I heard that there's some kind of, like people were saying that there's something weird about the house. And like, do you know, like if there's some like weird history here or like someone mentioned something, but I'm not sure. Cause there are people in this neighborhood especially a lot of the Polish and Indian population who were not around at that time, who don't know anything about that house. Oh, wow. uh, I educated a lot of people in this neighborhood. <laughs> There's an Indian guy who uh, works at the local like food mart. And I told him the whole story and he was like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> um, but he had no idea because, you know, he didn't grow up here and he didn't know. Um, so this guy, it wasn't the owner of the house, but it was the realtor he kind of skirted around it and was just like, oh, you're going to have to talk to the owner about that. And the owner is actually selling the house directly. It's not listed through like a company. It's uh -huh. through the owner, probably for a reason. Um, so yeah, they wouldn't admit to that. I don't care that there's a new house on the land. I care that there were 30 bodies under here. So don't want any part of that. No. Oh, no. Jesus Christ. Did they get all the bodies out? Do you know? Oh yeah. My friend's dad was actually, um, working with the FBI. He was like high up in the Chicago police department. He worked on that. He's been in the house and they said it smelled terrible, even though Gacy had put down all kinds of lime and stuff to like mask the smell, but like the neighbors smelled like a weird smell. But at that time, no one was thinking there's dead bodies down there. They just thought garbage or something wrong with the pipes or something. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, all the bodies were discovered, but that being said with oh. most serial there's more bodies. So they think that he dumped bodies behind the woods in the Displains River, which does run past these woods. Um, so in my history of just like being like interested in the paranormal as like an 18 year old, we would go there and we would, and there are valid things that I've experienced in there, not limited to 
hearing like a drum beating, which I would assume has to do something with the Native Americans that are buried there. Uh Um, We smelled flowers in the dead of winter. We're talking January, not a flower in sight. No one had perfume on and you can very clearly smell flowers. And then these are things that we looked up later and other people had experienced. So it wasn't like I was being influenced. Um, We saw a black dog a couple times in there on more than one occasion that kind of appeared and disappeared. Um, but no explanation. It wasn't like a lost dog. It was in the middle of the woods. It wasn't mm-hmm. like near the, you know, the street. Um, cause the woods go pretty deeply back there. Um, and then again, they think that Gacy might've dumped bodies in the river. So you've got, you know, the native American aspect, you have these poor little boys that were dumped there. And who knows if more people were injured by this person who, um, committed those crimes. And then you've got, um, again, the Gacy situation and, oh, and also, those are the woods as well, where they were looking for OJ's bloody glove because he stayed in the hotel, which is now a Holiday Inn, which is just on the other side of me. And when all of the stuff was blowing up with that case, he had been in Chicago and he had cut his hand, he said, on a glass. And so when he came back to Los Angeles, they asked him about his injury and he claimed he cut it on the glass when he was at some kind of event here. I think it was like an autograph signing thing or something mm-hmm. like a at one of the, uh, probably the Rosemont Convention Center. And they looked for the glove in these woods too. And I'm like, the history of these woods, I could write a book about it. And a lot of people just go, like these Polish families go in with their kids and they just, oh, it's pretty and we're going for a walk. And I guarantee most of them don't know. Also that, you know, because of the history of it, there's been a bit of activity like around like, um, I, I, I don't know how I would describe it, but I've seen like black candles lit and people doing weird ceremonies. I've seen stuff tied up in weird ways and weird kind of Blair Witchy stuff where either it's kids <laughs> around wanting to scare people or it's uh-huh. people that are like doing rituals and think they're witches or demons or something. Oh, Jesus so Christ. I go a lot now. Like I go there for walks a lot. If I don't have a, <laughs> a lunch meeting, I'll walk through there, but I've not been in there at night in probably over 12, 15 years. And the last time I was, my boyfriend at the time and I heard a noise that we couldn't describe. It was sounded like an injured animal, but not. It was like not an animal we could identify. And it was like a blood curdling, creepy, painful sound. And we turned on heel and got the hell out of there. <laughs> we were like, we we're like, oh, we're ghost hunters. We're going to find something. And then we heard that noise and we were like, fuck this. And we just we, <laughs> I tailed it out of there. <laughs> but the offer is open if you ever want to check out the woods. And um, I've told a couple other people about it. And, um, you know, my friends that know about it know it's somewhat, le- of course, all these stories are real. And then there's some legitimacy to the things we've heard and seen. I've never seen like orbs or any of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I've seen things that I wasn't able to explain away. And I think one of the weirder things was the flowers in the dead of winter, because that again, there was no logical explanation for it. And it was powerful. I felt like I was next to like a bouquet of like strong flowers, like summer flowers, but it, there was definitely no one else around. We were there at one in the morning being ghost hunters, so to speak. And <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and the best part is that one time the police stopped us when we were about to walk in and they were checking us for like drugs and alcohol. And we were about 18 Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, we're just losers looking for ghosts. We don't have drugs or alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, like, okay, 
gone, but at the same time, they were like, maybe you don't want to go in there because you shouldn't be in there at night because yeah. technically it's roped off at night, but it's a rope. Like if I want to walk over there right now, I can, you know? So. Yeah, but do you really want to? I would probably, probably not. Yeah. Edgar, if I do, it's not going to be during Halloween month. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, that was awesome. That was an awesome story to end on. Um, you, uh, How about we uh, we call it we call it a night here. It's 30. Oh, uh, we, we, we did three hours. So we're three hours, you, you know, and, and this was me trying to uh, shorten it because the other one went three hours as well. And I was just like, well, okay, we'll, we'll shorten it. Cause I don't want to take Emily's, you know, a whole night, but it, it happened. Anyway. But you know, also, I can keep us on track for sure. I could do that. But once we get off on a sub interesting, it's hard to like just cut it off <laughs> yeah well plus I, I i wanted to hear some of this like you know especially that scary holy crap story that you just told that, that i had no idea there was so much creepiness in your neighborhood yeah and i can send you again if anyone looks up peterson schusler murders or john gase john wayne gacy or um the chichi pinkway which you'll probably have to google that uh, spelling but it's the andrew robinson woods and um there's all, yeah, those people are buried back there. There's their whole family is buried back there because um, they lived on that land. And again, it used to be very open fields here. And mm -hmm. you know how Chicago is. We just keep building more crap, more condos. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the whole thing with the Poltergeist uh, movie, right? I mean, you build the house on top of a uh, Indian. Oh, resident. well, I could tell you another story another time about my neighborhood, but not right by my neighborhood. But on the Northwest side, there's also... Um, a um, mental hospital that was known for um, basically also being a burial ground for a lot of people that were from the war and people that did not have names or family. And I know people that live on the condos above that. That is very more poltergeist territory. And they said things move around their apartment all the time. So I believe it because there are literally when they built Wright Junior College, it's a community college over there. When they built it, they pulled out hundreds of bodies from underneath there. So. Fuck that. Fuck that. No, no. Why? I live there. I have no desire. I think that it's cool to talk about, but do you want to be like not sleeping every night? Because I don't sleep as it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 The last thing you want to be doing is sitting there watching TV and then having like your vase, flower vase float by your head. No. I would probably pee myself and then cry and then move. <laughs> I probably would do the same. All three things. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Emily. Uh, this is the Floro Podcast. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Music, a cradle song by Mary Riddle, can be found over at Epidemic Sound. Man, that was a great list. And, and I especially love all the, the, the stories that she told right there on the end with all the, the creepiness of those woods that she lives um, in front of. It's so crazy. I don't want to be anywhere near where she lives. Uh, but hey, you know, Chicago's an older city. It's, it's got lots of history. It's bound to have some ghosts. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. I had a great time. If you want to support the podcast, again, that URL is shop.thefloropodcast.com. And thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye.